Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 206 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki, episode two, The Variant, directed by Kate Heron, written by Alyssa Karasik, and the head writer for the series is Michael Waldron. But before the spoilery fun starts, just want to let you know about the exclusive podcast that we have available over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes. Those exclusive podcasts include Fan Show Plus, where currently I am doing spoiler reviews of the Star Wars animated series, The Bad Batch. And we also have Patreon credit scenes that correspond with some of these main episodes of the podcast. And the Patreon credit scene for episode 206 will feature a little bit of speculation about Kang after some recent comments by the person we know is playing Kang, Jonathan Majors, in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We will save at least some of that for the Patreon credit scene, which you will be able to find at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. You can also follow us in all those normal places that you've heard me say before on social media. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the show, if you love this podcast, or if you just kind of like it a little bit, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so very much to all of you who have taken the time to do so already. And without further ado, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? Uh, I'm cozying up with a blanket right now. Just all curled up in my in my recording chair, talking in the microphone about Loki and variants and multiverses. It's just it's gonna be a crazy time. I mean, we're, we're probably gonna mention Kang a thousand more times. I mean, I don't know. It's going to be crazy. Maybe. We'll try and save some Kang speculation for the <laughs> Patreon credit scene okay. so we don't pummel our dear listeners with Kang being the new Mephisto type of speculation. We'll we'll try to keep it. Although there's, I mean, there's still relevant things in the show that yes. point in that direction. It's not totally our fault. Um, and, and, and certainly we're not the only ones doing it. So peer pressure is a thing. So this episode, The Variant, I mean, this is the one that kind of broke or maybe rather created the multiverse within the Marvel Cinematic Universe if the ending of this episode has anything to say about it. And it was very fitting that this episode should premiere on June 16th, 616, the baseline continuity. I know that's the comic book Marvel Universe, and I know in the comic books, the MCU is not Earth 616, but inside the MCU, it is recognized as Earth exactly. 616. So it makes sense that uh, this episode dropped on this day. I don't think they planned it this way. It's just kind of the way things ultimately worked out. But I was amused by that and threw out the suggestion because I know I'm, I can't be the first one to throw out that suggestion. But yeah, June 16th, 616. That should be Marvel fans, may the 4th be with you sort of celebratory day. So I agree. Uh, let this be the first. And we celebrated by watching a new episode of Loki, and we'll see what happens next year. But yes, this episode just continued to further everything that was good about the premiere. And it just made it richer and deeper. And it was just so fun to sit back and, and watch this episode, and even though this it continues to get very, very heady. So a lot of that yes. fun is with philosophy, and we will get into that over the course <laughs> of this episode. And then it just ends with blowing everything up. 
with bombing the sacred timeline, which I just think was such a cool visual at the end of it. And I really cannot wait to see exactly what happened at mm-hmm. uh, at the very end of this episode. What are the ramifications when we open things up at the beginning of episode three? But that's for another podcast. Let's talk about this episode, which opens in Oshkosh, Wisconsin in 1985 at a Renaissance fair. So the TVA shows up led by Hunter C-20, played by Sasha Lane, along with some Minutemen in tow. There's a Renaissance Fair attendee, played by Kate Berlant, who is unhappy that these folks showed up not in Ren Fair costumes. Some of us need this, she says, which I think the Comic-Con crowd can relate to with uh, going a year without any conventions, so I think some of us get it. Um, but anyway. Was that a meta comment, you think? I don't think so. I, I just think it was a, a very well-delivered <laughs> line uh, by Kate yeah. Berlant in her one scene. Uh, or though she's there when they show up at the crime scene later. But anyway, uh, in her major line in the episode, she delivered. So good on her. But a variant's been detective, but, you know, call Admiral Akbar because it's a trap. The variant has enchantment powers, takes over C-20, and uses C-20 as a vessel to take out the rest of the crew. And then... Uh, C-20, or the variant, basically leaves with C-20 uh, doing the first kidnapping that this variant has been known to do and takes the usual stuff like the reset charges that the TVA hunters and Minutemen always bring with them, and that sets up our opening titles. So I liked this as an opening scene. I, I think it works. My only knock on this scene is it's very similar to the last scene we just saw. You know, the first scene of episode two is very similar to the last scene of episode one, but at least it does some new things. Like last time, we just saw everybody being taken uh, taken yeah. out by this shadowy hooded figure. We didn't have any uh, anything that represented enchantment powers or anything like that. We get that here. So it establishes a power we didn't necessarily know that the variant had. And it certainly furthers the point that the TVA are in over their heads against this variant because now we've seen in, in back-to-back settings here where the, they're just completely outmatched by this variant whom they believe is a Loki variant that they're chasing. So I don't know if I totally needed the scene, but I liked it. Yeah, I, I think you bring up, uh, bring up a great point. The fact that we got kind of last the last episode ended on kind of a similar thing. I took it as almost like a deliberate extension that was... Yeah, that's okay, fair. like. You know, like, okay, yeah, so it happened the last one. We're continuing on. Like, it's like, the, like it's almost like the same exact or next exact second right after that happened. It does this as she or it, excuse me, uh, as we don't know what, what that, that person is at this point. And they make it evident they don't know. Yeah. They assume. To be clear, we're going to talk about the whole Loki, Lady Loki, Sylvie, Enchantress. Yes. We will get to all of it. Yes. So, so anyway, yeah, thank you. Uh, I took it as all as an extension and I, I didn't hate or n- not like it. It's just like, okay. I was fine with it. It was, mm-hmm. it was nice to see the one thing I think it was crucial was to see and establish the fact that what Loki can do or the, you know, what, right. cause they talk about the powers and eventually, and, and the fact that, cause I, I, what I'm, what I'm thinking is Loki had to have the scepter in Avengers in order to actually take control of someone. If True. I'm not mistaken. And right. So in this one, first thing I noticed was, okay, look, this Loki can like control with her, with just with their one touch of a finger with with nothing, 
you know, so I thought that was interesting off the bat. I noticed that right off the bat. Like, that's different because Loki needed to have the scepter to do it before. And because obviously if Loki could do that without the scepter, he'd be running amok all over Asgard already. Right. So that's why I, I, I looked into that immediately and, right. and took note of that. So I, I took I put that in the old storage bank and saved it for later. Absolutely. And part of what this episode is really looking to establish, I mean, it's I think it's teased in the first episode, but this episode makes it clear that at least in terms as powers go, this is a superior version of Loki. And, you know, which is why the version that we know from Endgame, uh, basically because not the entire Loki timeline that 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 Loki witnessed last week the Loki that we know from the start of this series doesn't necessarily have those powers and also is not able to evade capture at the hands of the TVA. This Loki is over and over and over again. So, Mm. um, and also setting up the enchantment powers, you need that for the last scene, the finale of this episode where we see even more of the enchantment powers and we see how it can actually be transferred from one body to the next. It's not like the variant has to physically touch each person that they enchant. Once one person is enchanted, it can transfer uh, to others. So there you go. Mm. So that was our, our our opening of the episode. But then we cut to Loki, Jet Skis, and Miss Minutes, because Loki is <laughs> reading up on Jet Skis, which is really funny later, but also not just funny, kind of sad later on in the episode. Yeah. Miss Minutes wants a review of what Loki has learned, which means we get to learn. So we learned a lot about the TVA and the sacred timeline and preventing multi, uh, multiversal wars and all of that stuff last week. And one of the things that we were told to worry about was when a branch, as a branch is approaching from the sacred timeline, if it starts branching off and it approaches red line, that's an issue. Well, what exactly is that? Well, when a Nexus event branches past red line, the TVA can no longer reset that Nexus event, which would lead to the destruction of the timeline and, according to Miss Minutes, the collapse of all reality as we know it. But Loki isn't worried. He wonders, though, if Miss Minutes can actually hear him or is she a recording all her life? And she says, sort of both. And then he swats at her with the jet ski magazine. (laughs) And I love the comeback of where's your manners. Uh, Just Miss Minutes is a delight. I absolutely love Miss Minutes. And yes. Loki gets a schnazzy new jacket that we'll see who says variant on the back. As far as this scene goes, my thoughts on it, I mean, I think they're doing a really good job with the Miss Minutes review of what did Loki learn. I think mm-hmm. they're doing such a good job of taking the audience along for the ride and keeping it simple. And they're also setting up a really strong visual cue that pays off a little bit of what we saw before, but it also helps us really track things as we get toward the end of the episode And I'm also really glad to see the show is moving fast as far as defining the danger. What happens if a branch reaches red line? Well, does that mean it's the kind of thing that we're going to worry about when it finally happens in like episode five? No, we're going to get there in episode two, or at least that's certainly the way that it looks uh, with the way things are setting up at the very end of this episode. So I I like that establishing uh, something that, you're saying in the show and in the story that this is a very big deal and then actually moving forward with that. So for a show featuring the time variance authority, they're not wasting any time in this Loki series. And that I I really liked. One of the brilliant things about the show is that they're bringing in a cartoon character Mm -hmm. for the the mass audience and helping them 
and again, I, I'm helping me even, I mean, helping everyone. Yeah. Helping everybody it, watching this show for sure. Yeah. Because like you said, it's heady. And we said before the show, I said, this is, it gets into the weeds, man. Like this is, <laughs> you know, I talked about WandaVision going really, really deep into like the sorcery aspects of the Marvel universe. This is getting into even more really headies like territory where people would be arguing in like chat rooms about, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of ridiculousness that like only like 30 people actually care about. I mean, let's be real. And so with that, there's a, I mean, this is big stuff as far as trying to explain this to an audience and miss minutes is only one aspect of the brilliance of the writing of the show. And I I don't want to, I don't want to be a broken record, but I I just cannot stress enough of how impressive the writing is Mm -hmm. on all these, these shows for one. WandaVision, I think, um, and, and Loki really stick out, obviously, just from that what what they're telling is so imp- impressive and how they're doing it in such a very basic, simplistic way and using everything to their advantage. So Miss Minutes is just one aspect of that. And the fact that it kind of lures the audience into, like, think, oh, this cute cartoon character also giving exposition in a very creative way that they're taking all that in. It's just so like, it's so impressive. And again, it's obvious, but it's so impressive that it's so entertaining and you don't care. And you're absorbing all this information and the balance of using this cute cartoon character with also Owen Wilson and a couple other things and how they balance it all together to come, you know, basically inform the audience of a very complicated thing like multiverses it's impressive. And I love the scene and seeing Loki again, ask the same things that I'm wondering as I'm like, you know, eating my sandwich. I'm like, is this thing <laughs> even real? I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was, I mean, it's, yeah. I, I'm really impressed of how we're, we're getting the answers as I'm thinking them out in my head. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. I got the answer right there. Okay, cool. So yeah, this is a great scene establishing so much. And again, I'm just going to be a broken record about it a lot for this episode, but part of the balancing act of giving us the all the information that's not going to be overcomplicating and simplifying it as much as possible and mm-hmm. in, an, in a very entertaining fun way again i love miss minutes and i i'm jealous i know you have a miss minute shirt i i need one now too sean i need yeah, a miss minute shirt. you gotta get the miss minute socks too you gotta step up your game i got those too like so socks yeah yeah Damn. Miss minute socks i would name the brand but they didn't pay to be mentioned on the podcast so no um, but they are available. You can find that's them. Um, so uh, that's mean. Rock'em socks. There's a freebie <laughs> for them. You can go get Miss Minute socks. So anyway, a- as far as you know, this scene, I'm a- what I like about another thing I like about Miss Minutes is, yeah, she just seems so sweet and she seems so fun. But I still detect a hint of menace behind Miss Minutes. I mm-hmm. really do. I don't think that she's just as nice and sweet as she puts herself out as because she's still threatening people in ways. I mean, the poster was threatening people that Miss Minutes would clean their clock last week. So, mm. I mean, that's, I, I feel like at some point Miss Minutes goes off. And at some Ms. point. Miss Minutes is Kane confirmed. Yeah. I mean, at, at some point, you know, somebody's <laughs> not going to mind their manners and she's not going to be okay with it at all. And she's going to let them know. I just, I, I feel like she's there. And we know that because she's not just some recording, she's sort of both. Um, that she's living, she's a living recording at the same living and recording at the same time. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like Miss Minutes is going to 
surprise us and not just you know cheerfully entertain us every week. We'll see. Um, but uh, we move over to a, a briefing because all of the stuff that we just saw in the prologue of this episode, we are back with Hunter B-15, Wunmi Mosaku, uh, breaks down what happened to C-20, and they identified the Loki variant via temporal aura. Remember, that's what they scanned from our Loki, just to make sure he wasn't a robot in episode one. Um, but they don't know which kind of Loki they're dealing with. Our Loki says a lesser kind, but B-15 comes back with you know the back of that jacket saying variant. And we see, actually, that the TVA has dealt with a whole mess of Lokis. They've pruned a bunch of them. And we see these little holographic images that show us several different forms of Lokis. And Mobius says that they've dealt with those Lokis almost more than any other variant. So almost more than any other variant. So Loki's one of the top ones, but maybe not the top one. Will we learn what uh, is the most frequent variant for the TVA? I don't know. But either way, Loki is up there, and Mobius does say no two are alike. And the differences can be big or they can be small in terms of appearance. And there also are different powers. They generally include shape-shifting and illusion projection, so, but that key point though, that the powers do change could point to how one Loki variant could have enchantment powers, whereas our Loki maybe doesn't have those same powers or hasn't yet learned those powers. But our Loki adds duplication casting to the list of powers that Lokis generally have. Mobius dismisses this as just another form of illusion projection. But Loki says that they are two completely different powers, and here's the explanation. Illusion projection involves depicting a detailed image from outside oneself, which is perceptible in the external world. Whereas duplication casting entails recreating an exact facsimile of one's own body in its present circumstance, which acts as a true holographic mirror of its molecular structure. Dang. It does seem like a fancy version of illusion projection because we have seen this power from Loki. We've seen Loki do this a number of times, perhaps uh, perhaps most famously in the Avengers. Remember how he tricked Thor to get mm -hmm. Thor locked inside the cell that Loki was in aboard the helicarrier for a lot of that movie? So oh. in practice, it does kind of seem like a form of illusion projection. Uh, so Mobius may be right there, but I think what it it's really pointing to for Loki, I mean, maybe they're setting up something that's going to be a bigger power for Loki as the series goes on, but Right now, in this moment, it just seems more of Loki needing everyone to know slash believe slash validate how powerful he is. So unless duplication casting becomes more than a mere holograph, this scene just serves as further evidence of the flaws within Loki that he identified even within himself and admitted to within himself last week. He still needs to be seen as powerful, as powerful as he can possibly seen, uh, possibly be seen in order to not be seen as, you know, as weak as he obviously views himself. Mm. And so Mobius just tells him to take a breath. Noted. But I like the little back and forth about powers. And, and I just love the condescending dismissal on the point of Mobius. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I This was a really interesting take, the idea that they, their power levels are all different. And I love the fact that, that you saw all these different versions of Loki, like some look like ogres or, mm -hmm. you know, they're completely different. And the fact that there's, there's not one in the same. Yeah. And and that's a difference. One of them I appears think. to have won the tour de France. <laughs> I don't remember that. There was one with the yellow Jersey or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Uh, 
I think for me, one thing that I th- I took from that, and this is maybe maybe I'm, I'm I could turn to my co- comic book uh, loving card or Marvel six sixteen card, but I don't remember them at least from um, at least this hardcore standpoint of everyone has a different power level. Whereas where I come from into this is that most of them are, are very similar in power, or pretty much the same character. They might just take us different route. They might have a different power level if it's specifically about them being more powerful, et cetera. Like, uh, for instance, um, I'm going to get really deep in the, in the weeds here myself. And the, what if, uh, Spider-Man had, had kept his cosmic powers, right? Like that whole mm-hmm. idea that he'd be a stronger character, you know, that makes more sense. But the way that, um, Mobius is talking about in the show specifically is that, Literally every every different character every different version will have a different power level. So like so for instance, a Spider-Man in a different universe or whatever in, in the MCU whatever is going to have maybe be more powerful than the 616 version of that or, or whatever. Even though it's like the same, it's basically the same person and everything, but it might be like just faster, maybe way way faster or way way stronger or whatever, which is interesting. So the fact they set that up also sets up the fact that we get with our reveal at the end, which is interesting, which mm-hmm. we'll get into that in a sec. We'll get eventually, but that all sets that up. And I think that was really cool. And I, well, again, wasn't expecting that. And that's a cool different take. And again, I want to emphasize the idea that it's cool that they're bringing in these different aspects that aren't typical to even the comic book lore to give it its own feel. Cause as we know, across the street with DC, you know, they're like, they are the king, the king and queens of multiverse, uh, you know, even more than Marvel. Marvel is yeah. not as, has never been as big in the multiverse kind of thing than, than DC has. And they have their own set of rules and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Marvel has always had their own thing. Well, the MCU is kind of taking a different approach and I like this approach. It's different. And I, I think it's good for the brand and I think it's fun and it makes it really exciting for me. So this is a really cool, different take that I want people to take note of that is not, it's not typical really, at least at least what we I remember anyway. No. And it's a fun in story reason to keep things more exciting. Cause the show would yeah. kind of get, would get, you know, run the risk of getting boring. Although I don't exactly. think the show could ever be boring, but one way it could find itself in that spot is if we see multiple Lokis and they all do the same stuff, it's a mm-hmm. lot more fun, a lot more exciting if they have different abilities that, that create, different ways that they can challenge each other. Um, And of course, not just in terms of, I mean, intellectually, philosophically, sure, that's going to be part of it. Um, But also, as far as their magical abilities. Um, But Mobius, turns out, uh, not that we were surprised, he really is the only one who wants to work with Loki. But this is a good explanation as to why. Mm -hmm. All these other TVA agents have been down this road taking out how many different versions of Loki at this point. So it's pretty clear why they don't trust him But speaking of trust, Mobius wants to bring Loki to the scene of the crime from our prologue in this episode, but leaving the confines of the TVA means that Loki is going to have his magical abilities. When they're inside the TVA, no magic. As soon as they step outside of that, magic is back for Loki, which means it's easier for him to betray them. And Loki even points that out, but Mobius isn't worried because Mobius knows that Loki knows he'll still get caught and escape would only put more distance between Loki and his goal of meeting the timekeepers, which is really Mobius just manipulating Loki, saying, that, look, you, yeah, sure, I already thought about that. You could betray me, but um, 
you won't because you want this thing and you're not going to get it if you betray us, although Loki does try to betray them just in a different way uh, when they visit the crime scene. But it's good to establish these rules because that's the question that you know would be in the audience's mind is, well, if you take Loki outside the TVA, the magic is back. So of course he's going to do these things and try and get away and that's going to cause branches in the timeline and that's going to unravel the whole thing. Well, here's some reasonable logic as to why maybe Mobius thinks that wouldn't happen, that it's not a given that Loki would betray them. Uh, So it's good to establish a reason for that within the storytelling. And I also think it's setting the right expectations so that we as an audience have a reason not to expect to see just the same dance over and over again. Uh, They bring Loki into the field and he uses magic to try and escape. It's boring to see the things that we would expect to happen over and over and and over again. And yet, at the end of this episode, he does escape, but in a completely different way than what's discussed here. So that's where they did a good job of changing it up. Um, But they do go to the crime scene. They work the crime scene. So we have TVA, you know, or CSI TVA. Um, And it's more exposition to answer our audience questions. Why not just go back to before the variant arrived? Well, it's similar to that whole killing baby Thanos approach not working in Avengers Endgame. The whole changing the past doesn't change the future because Mobius explains Nexus events destabilize the time flow. This branch is still changing and growing. So you got to show up in real time. But then we also get confirmation of what those reset charges do as Loki explains, because it's more another review session for Loki. Reset charges prune the affected radius of a branch timeline, allowing time to heal all its wounds, which, by the way, sounds like a nice way of saying disintegrate everything in its vicinity. And we see mm-hmm. that at the end yep. of this scene. And as we suspected, they are eliminating things and also probably people from existence. We saw bodies go away. Now, those are bodies that were already dead, but living bodies can go away, too. And probably like that kid in France probably went away, too. Um, And they took his kablooey and they disintegrated him. That sucks. Anyway, uh, anyone who went, presumably anyone who witnessed these events or would be affected by it, um, they're they're the ones who would be part of causing the timeline to branch and to grow. So they get eliminated. I mean, it is targeted as we see in the scene, so it doesn't look as cataclysmic as we might have pictured before, but the effect is still huge and the ethics of what the TVA does, I think they're no less questionable based on the explanation of of what these reset charges do. So, I I like mm-hmm. getting, you know, confirmation of what we suspected these things were doing. Um, but and also see getting a chance to actually see what happens when you leave a reset charge behind. And it's it doesn't look as harmful as it actually is. But yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a pretty devastating thing that they're doing, potentially anyway, depending on your viewpoint of of what is existence. So yeah, there we go with the philosophy of it. I know. And this is again, you're, you're we're taking these different ideas and really big questions and what is really a living being and all it's, it's again, heady, heady stuff and putting it into a family friendly uh, TV series of. Uh, about based on comic book characters it's 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 pretty nutty um because we get that throughout the whole episode right i mean that's mm-hmm. kind of what they're talking about i don't want too ahead of myself but that's kind of like the theme of this whole episode and we and we get that in the last episode too but it's even re- more reinforced the whole idea of free will and et cetera et cetera 
is reinforced in this episode. And I think that the confirmation that what they're doing, it definitely makes the TVA seem like they're not necessarily the good guys per se. No, I and mean, I think so far lot... they are the antagonists of the show. So exactly. far. So far. And I think that my prediction is that there's not really, or maybe not even the T the TVA may not necessarily be in of itself an evil organization is that who is controlling it is potentially evil again, whatever that is or who it is, is a whole different thing. But the fact that we're getting this, idea, we're getting the confirmation of what they're doing mm-hmm. and how they're doing it. And the fact that it's even the themes of predestination, what is predestination, all of that. Again, I, I love any story, whether it be some independent art house film or comic book film or whatever. If it has good themes in it and there's and it's, it's there, then I'm, I'm all about it. I love themes and themes that are, I think, universal for anybody, whether it be whatever. And I think that that's the, what I love about this series so much that it's taking a very, very, very uh, I think important thing to be honest in predestination and destiny and things like that. And what exactly does that mean? And this variant of Loki being that it, it's just all that's kind of being taken into the here. And I love the fact that the TVA and destroying these different realities are saying that there, there should be no other possibilities. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love, I don't love that because I think it's evil actually, but I think they're taking away the fact that there is circumstances can change. Because they're saying, no, there's only one circumstance, the one that we believe in. So, right. Yeah. The TVA only looks worse as the episode goes on and we get into exactly some of these, Mm -hmm. uh, the conversations that these characters have. I mean, and I think with this, uh, with this scene, there's other things that I I like about it. I mean, they're setting up as the first time the variant has taken a hostage, which is really more something they note as opposed to something that becomes that relevant. Although it does because the hostage they took ended up giving away, not that she meant to, but gave away the location or how to find the timekeepers. We see yeah. that from C20 later in the episode. But also what's happening here is that Loki tries to stall by lying about the variant, uh, saying that the variant is waiting for them outside the tent. And Loki does a good job spinning this impressive lie to try and save his skin. And he's using this to try and get an audience with the timekeepers. And we get this countdown from b15 x amount of units there are three units two units one unit until red line and we know how bad that is after our review at the beginning of the episode but mobius sees through it while still noting the betrayal and it's a good job i think showing mobius as even though he seems very very nice and well-intended he's not gullible like a lot of Loki's previous victims, including Loki's brother Thor, who's fallen for these tricks from Loki so many times in the past. Mobius isn't falling for anything when it comes to Loki. He spots this lie, calls it out, and that's it. And unfortunately for Loki, he is proving his critics right. He's not living up to what Mobius sees in him, uh, which is the only thing that's keeping Loki alive right now. So not a good move by Loki. Uh, But it's also hard to fault Loki for trying to manipulate the situation when it's really his own survival that's at stake because he has no assurances that he's going to live or be allowed to live at the end of all this. So the reset charge uh, goes off and we see the branch go away. 
And we get the animation that shows it shrinking back into the timeline. So again, it doesn't look very violent, but that doesn't mean it isn't. Yeah. But it all depends on your interpretation of the nature of existence. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really I really dug this scene. And as, as fun as it was to watch Loki spin a lie, I thought it was even... I thought it was even better to watch Mobius see through it. Yeah, this is this is an important scene for so many different levels because you're establishing the fact that Mobius is a very good-natured person at heart, and he's not the bad guy. And you're seeing this in the, the TV around. The guy everyone just wants else. jet skis and salad. Ex- exactly, and so you have the whole rest of the TVA is following orders, and with his kind of affection for the. Uh, Loki variant, you know that he has a bigger heart than probably most people within that organization. So you set that up and he's not just an idiot. Like you said, right? He's, he's, he's not, he's not gullible. He's not just wide eyed and like, Oh, I, I trusted you kind of a thing. Cause that's important for later. Cause you're also setting up the fact that Loki has, you know, as we get into the episode, I think in the last episode and especially in this one that he's, res- he starts to respect Mobius and not just think of him as a gullible idiot. He's starting to realize that this guy has genuine, um, he's, he's genuine and he's also not an idiot and he sees through Loki. So he can't just fool him. Mm. And I think that he's, I think obviously Mobius has gotten through to Loki and throughout these last two episodes, there's a bond and he's got, he's, I think Loki, this version of Loki, this variant sees kind of more of what the problem with TVA is and I think that's that is will play crucially in the next episode and at the very end of this episode, which we'll get to in, in predictions and whatnot. So I just want to put a pin in this right here because I think this is a really important conversation that they're both having. And the fact that Mobius is calling him out and saying, you, I, yeah, I, I knew this was going to happen. You lied. You proved yourself. You, know, you proved, you know, what every ver- variance has proven that you are just, you know, this evil intent. So, again, put a pin in that. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's definitely something that, um, you know, it, there are a lot of things about Loki and, and Mobius that uh, are worth putting pins in to uh, look at where things are going uh, mm-hmm. in the future. But the net result of this scene is that, yeah, it did not go well for uh, Loki because caught in his first mission out in the field, immediately gets caught in a lie and an attempted betrayal. So uh, now it's time it to... It wouldn't dis- be Loki, though, right? Yeah, if it I mean, wasn't. It's I yeah, mean, it's, it's what we expect, but that's the problem, is Loki is exactly. just continuing to live up to what people expect from him, sure. and that's not really a good thing, historically. It's how is yeah. he going to break those expectations by, I don't know, actually being trustworthy for, like, five minutes? Um, he's been that way for Thor, but that's Thor's pretty much the only one who's been able to get that out of Loki. But uh, we mm-hmm. cut to... Uh, the falling out of this scene, and it's a meeting between Mobius and Ravona Renslayer, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, uh, back in this part. And we see these, uh, we open the scene by looking at some Timekeeper statues. One of them does kind of look Kang-y. Um, and I'm also wondering, you know, Richard Grant is reportedly in this show, and we have not seen that character. Is he a Timekeeper or an older mm. Loki? I don't know. We shall see. Um but Renslayer has got artifacts from the missions that she's approved. We see a snow globe. At the end of the scene, we see a Franklin D. Roosevelt high school pen. I don't really know what that's supposed to be referring to. But uh, the takeaway here, though, is that Mobius doesn't actually remember, uh, you know, or knows that those artifacts aren't all from his missions. And Mobius is kind of jealous that there's another analyst 
who is uh, supplying Renslayer with these uh, these tokens. I don't know if we're supposed if it's just the general idea that there's other analysts in the TVA, which I would assume there would be. I don't know if that's yeah. something that we're really supposed to pay attention to. But there's also a part of me that has me wondering, maybe we will find out who the other analyst is. Um, it actually mm. wouldn't surprise me if the other analyst is Loki already um, and they don't mm. know it yet. So, um, you know. We'll see. Um, I'll explain more about that. There's a there's a thing that there's another line that makes me think that later on in the episode. So I'll just uh, I'll save it. Um, there's. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I this this was a, again another part of the episode where it got my wheels turning and my MCU uh, Marvel comic books kind of head turning a little bit because. Mm-hmm. The fact that Mobius is so like, oh, I'm so jealous, you know, he kept saying that, <laughs> kept being, huh, like they keep yeah. emphasizing this. Well, so, there seems to be a flirtation as well between Mobius and fair enough. Renslayer. Fair enough. Um, you know, his comment last week, you know, right. I, I feel like I'm always looking up to you. I like it. It's appropriate. There's they kind of have a moment later on in the episode where, you know, he you know, can't you see how excited I am? I'm chomping at the bit here. And she kind of smiles and like is enjoying seeing him being excited. Sure. So maybe they're crushing on each other. Maybe it's something else. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, there's just we'll see. I mean, a show like this is going to have things that kind of like WandaVision. We're going to read a whole bunch into yeah. a lot of different things. And some of them are going to pay off in bigger ways. And some of them are already done. We just don't know it yet. And that's a good point. But I do think the fact that they emphasized it and the fact that there are, like you said, other agents or there's or mm-hmm. with her specifically, she has them in her office and they and, they, and again, not just it's just a kind of a, a quick shot and it's gone. They linger on these moments for an, a, a decent amount of time. That's what makes me think like there's more meaning to this. Like there's there's something else that's going on behind the scenes that even Mobius is unaware of mm-hmm. and that either whoever she's working for or working with there's there's just something more at stake here and like almost like these trophies if you will of these of these moments in time right not necessarily yeah and that's what it seems like they're trophies they're not just well, they are like, remember these have to come from branches that were pruned they right. can't they can't take stuff from the sacred timeline they can only take things from places that were diverging from right. the sacred timeline that they erased so when we consider what seems to be happening on those resets, yeah, it's kind of gross to keep those trophies. But you know, again, the TBA right. not so great. Um, so and so, I, I see, I see all that. I'm just saying that there's, it, it adds more more credence to the fact that this this whole one timeline thing isn't right. Which I, I, again, I've got. There is a pivotal thing in here. I'm, not, I, I'm just gonna say it now because it is. I'm not sure when I'm gonna have another chance to say it. And it's just, it's not a big meet divergence necessarily, but we all know it comes out in August, right? What if? Well, yeah. who's part of what if? Well, you ought to. The Watcher. Mm-hmm. Watcher watches multiverse timelines. Uh, we got Watchers in Guardians of the Galaxy. So we know there's other Watchers out there. Right. So if there's only one timeline, where's... Where are the watchers and where's Yatu? And we all know he's coming. So, well, maybe before they were, maybe before Loki, they were watching one timeline. Maybe this is what makes what if possible. I I don't know. Exactly. So, but this is what, yeah. I don't know if the multiverse already existed. Well, technically it already existed and then it got 
Multiverse Wars, you know, yeah. Wrangled into yeah. this sacred timeline, but you what? know, yeah, we'll right. we'll see if there's if there's still a multiverse actively now, or there will be by the end of Loki. I, I think, yeah, that this is part of uh, what's setting that up. But I think the other the other right. key part of this uh, of this scene, we go back into that concept of free will because Loki is the subject of this conversation, right? And Renslayer is saying that Loki is an evil lying scourge and that's the part he plays on the sacred timeline and Mobius who actually said a very similar thing to Loki like this is your role is to set up other people to become the best versions of themselves you keep on being terrible so that other people can be great well Mm. now Mobius is defending Loki in this conversation saying maybe he wants to mix it up sometimes you get tired of playing the same part is that possible? Can he change? And Renslayer's response says everything. Not unless the timekeepers decree it. And so there you have it. No free will. And this will be explored later in a conversation between Mobius and Loki. But per the timekeepers, everyone must play the part they are assigned unless the timekeepers say otherwise. Or whatever the timekeepers are. Maybe they're nothing and this is all Renslayer. Maybe it's Kang, whatever. Um, but why, you know, why would they decree that someone can change unless it's going to serve the sacred timeline? So we go into the idea of responsibility here. If Loki isn't allowed to change, is he fully responsible for his actions? I'd say sort of, but it it really isn't that simple because he obviously is still making choices, even if he's not aware that there's a limited set of choices he's ultimately going to be allowed to make. And he's not aware until now, that there's an axe swinging over his head, that if he makes a choice to be good, that he will be killed for it. Um, so he seems to be making these choices, as he believes anyway, freely for all the bad things he does. But this is where we get into the heady philosophical stuff of who's responsible for what, mm-hmm. if everything's predetermined and there's no such thing as free will. But there must be something, if we're just talking about what's happening there with Loki, obviously Loki wants to play a new role. Obviously, Loki wants to change, and it's not just because of this Loki that is the star of this series. There must be something within Loki that wants to break free and be more than an evil lying scourge. Why else would there be so many Loki variants? Why is Loki either the most frequent or one of the most frequent variants that's out there? Because Loki is always trying to break free whether he knows it or not. And these Lokis probably don't know that they have each other in common, although maybe the variant at the end of this episode does. They're not even aware of each other, and yet they're all doing similar things. They all end up being variants one way or another. And you could say that, you could chalk all of that up to to just saying, well, Loki values and represents chaos, whereas the TVA values and represents order, which sort of means that the timekeepers, which... You know, sort of means the timekeepers, whether they mean it or not, they're kind of guaranteeing that Loki will always challenge them because they're trying to keep him in this box and he doesn't want to be. And I think part of that chaos is the inherent decency that's somewhere within Loki. And that doesn't mean he isn't responsible for his sins or accountable for his actions. It doesn't absolve him of anything, but it does show that he has the capacity for good and he has the ability to be better were it not for the pesky timekeepers. Yeah, man, there's uh, the time stuff is just getting more and more like nutty. And I love the fact that, again, the whole idea of free will is brought up here. And the timekeepers, 
I, I'm starting to think that I, I, I almost whoever or whatever is behind the TVA, whether it be King or whatever, I don't think it's three people. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think it's going to be three. I think it's two. I think, like, I think it's definitely the Wizard of Oz illusion. Oh, totally. Yeah. And and it's going to be something. It's either going to be even bigger than the Timekeepers. Like, again, if it's Kang, just one person is ruling its giant army outside of the TVA that they don't even realize. Yeah. Or it's literally going to be like one dude just being like chilling like, yeah, man, I'm ruling the TVA. What's up? And that's it. I mean, it's it feels like it's gonna be one. It's either gonna be totally like simplified or like completely huge ramifications of MCU. Kind of like it's almost like WandaVision, where it could have gone super nutty. They they, right. they tone it down completely for the, and again, it fit that story and it could fit Loki in this too. But I feel like, I feel like it could go either way at this point. It could either it's, it's there's gonna be no middle ground. It's either gonna be super toned down, like very fit fit the story and keep it very, very simple and just kind of set up a little bit of the multiverse stuff that we're going to get. And maybe Dr. Strange and, and what if, or it's going to go full on like, no, we're introducing phase four through Tom Hiddleston and, and you know, and uh, Owen Wilson and <laughs> here it is. And it's going to be one or the other. There's going to be no middle ground there. And I just, I hope it's the, the latter one to be cool, to be clear. But, but yeah, like I love the idea of this free will is just all over the place. And the fact that they're, they're set they're again, they're setting this up for the series mm-hmm. even more in this episode. It's, it's like, again, free will is brought up a little bit in that first one. It's, it's definitely a theme here. It's like, it's the emphasis of what is free will, what is not. And no, yeah. it does not exist in this reality or in this timeline. Yeah. Or, maybe that's what everyone has to fight for. And I, and I think that's where you see that free will seems like a good idea for people to be able to have. And it doesn't, the, T, the TVA seems to be restricting that. And I think there's a larger metaphor here though. I, I don't think it's just the, I don't know about it, but a larger metaphor, but another application of this theme, if you look at a, a real world metaphor though, if, if you look at the TVA, as in, in as more of an abstract concept and the timekeepers as an abstract concept. I mean, even the whole idea of, of being able to improve the idea of things like of concepts like redemption, this kind of represents that idea that and it, it's not to make people unaccountable for their actions, but it is to, as Loki says later on in the episode, I'll jump ahead a bit here that, you know, no one bad is ever truly bad. No one good is ever truly good. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what it's getting at here in a, a larger sense is that, you know, in our world, you know, we don't have the time variance authority. We don't have timekeepers that we know of anyway. Yeah, we know. So, but we do have societal expectations and we do have ways that we collectively might put each other in boxes and judge each other and, and all of the things that we might do that get in the way of our abilities to change and grow and become better, that maybe some people can't improve because we don't give them the space to be proven, uh, to improve. And it doesn't mean that they aren't accountable for their choices and their actions. They still are. But I, I think it is uh, the idea of that. I, I don't think it's outside the bounds of what happens in our society, that sometimes people can be put into uh, this idea of there, there's a, a picture that's painted for them and it's very difficult to see outside of that and that there are expectations that that are placed upon people or, or whatever it is. And that's part of the difficulty of changing is, is feeling like you can't or feeling like if you do, no one's going to see it. No one's going to recognize it. So it is kind of that giving people the space, 
hold hold them accountable absolutely but also give them the space to become the better person that they might be capable uh, of being so i think there's something really interesting you know philosophically amongst many mm-hmm. things going on there within this series uh, but speaking of those timekeepers yeah, the Wizard of Oz comparison is totally apt because Mobius has never met them, as he mm-hmm. confirms in this scene. He just buys in. He's like Huge. asking Renslayer, like, what's the, you know, what's the goods on the timekeepers? Like, what are they up to? Yeah. Um, and she's talking about how they're monitoring every aspect of the case. Yeah. Um, mm. She's never seen them more involved. Uh, they want that variant caught. So with Renslayer being... The only one we know of who is seeing or communicating with the timekeepers, although C20 knew enough about them to be able to tell the variant how to find them and be worried about sharing that information at the end of the episode. So maybe it's not just Renslayer. Um, but right now, Renslayer is the only one who we know who's actually claims to have spoken with the timekeepers or communicated with them in some way, which mm-hmm. means maybe there are no timekeepers. Maybe she is the timekeeper. Um, or maybe she's hiding some other truth about them, like it's all just Kang, whatever. Um, but Renslayer agrees to give Mobius one last chance with this Loki. But if it goes wrong, there's not going to be any way to save Mobius. So then we move on to a meeting between Loki and Mobius to debrief their own mission. And Loki is trying to talk his way out of his lie, but Mobius, again, not falling for it. And now he says he doesn't care what makes Loki tick. You're here to help me catch the superior version of yourself. Mm. Ouch. Uh, Loki objects to this, because of course he would. And Mobius presses on. I believe, stupidly, that insecure need for validation would motivate you to find the killer. And Mobius goes on. It's not about the TVA. It's not about Loki being a hero. But, quote, because you know this variant is better than you, and you can't take it. Uh, Mobius is not believing that stupidly. It's correct. That is definitely part of Loki's motivation and maybe all of it. And Loki, he could try to brush it off all he wants, but this is the Loki who got caught by the TVA while the other variant is still at large. And that's a good argument in favor of this variant being superior. Um, Maybe or maybe not when it comes to morality. Let's see the next conversation that these Lokis or Loki slash Sylvie slash Enchantress have with each other. Um, but the skill level also seems to be higher in other places, as we talked about with the, uh, with the enchantment powers, but I really love the way that Mobius is able to size up, uh, Loki and he's just able to see it the whole way through. I mean, even when they get to the end of the scene, uh, why is Mobius taking this chance on Loki talks about maybe feeling bad for the scared child, the ice runt, as Mobius calls him, or he'll just say what he needs to if it helps, uh, if it helps Mobius or helps Loki help Mobius catch the variant. Uh, So Loki, definitely not the only manipulator here. Uh, He's met his match and it's not just in the variant, but in Mobius and Mobius. Yeah, this was a seeing his kind of frustrations with, with Loki and everything and just kind of knowing what's on the line I think there's even more to Mobius than what I, I went back to the first episode. I watched um, the first episode again before I watched the second one with my wife. And so when I watched it, I, I still get this sense that what Loki says himself right there. He says, I'm always thinking two steps ahead of you. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. he, again, that's kind of the, Loki's kind of MO, right? He's always, you know, Emperor Palpatine, right? Like kind of always like thinking like a way ahead of everybody else. Well, what I find interesting is how calm and collected he is and how everything kind of works out to Mobius's 
advantage at one point. And it makes me think that he's playing super chill and cool and he's using all this on purpose because he knows yeah. what he's going to do. And I feel like that's, that's definitely been shown to an extent, but I feel like that's what Mobius is doing completely under has, he has everything under control because he knows exactly how to manipulate this version. So I feel like he's just doing this to egg him on. At least that's the impression that I mm-hmm. get. And again, and th- I don't think if I'm wrong, I, I, I'm not like it has to be this way. I'm not saying like that, but that's the impression that I'm getting. Do you get that too, Sean? Well, I think what I mainly see from Mobius is there's, it, it almost seems weird to call it this, but there is almost an indifference to, to Mobius. Okay. And cause he explains that later. Like, I don't really worry about what's supposed to be believed, not believe and all these things. And I think it's the same thing with Loki. He just accepts what is like what's right in front of him and what can he evaluate. And for Mobius, Loki is pretty transparent. And, and a lot of that is because Mobius has studied Loki and he's dealt with how many different versions of Loki at this point. So Loki's no stranger to him. And, and I think what Mobius is maybe disappointed by is, you know, and I, I think it's the, him wanting to believe that Loki can be better, but I don't really think Mobius is ultimately going to be that let down if Loki doesn't turn out to be better. But I think you just see my, you see some frustration on the part of Mobius, but Mobius is also the king of acceptance. Like he just accepts what he's seeing. Right. And that's kind of where he has this indifference at the end of the scene. Maybe I feel bad for you, or maybe I'm just telling you what I think you need to hear. Either way, yeah. I I have a mission right now, and that's what I need to get done because that's my job. That's what I was created to do. I need to fulfill my purpose. You're part of helping me do that. Um, but if you prove to not be part of helping me do that, then you go away, and and I just continue on. Um, but I think with Mobius, though, the setup for this guy is, yeah, the, eventually Mobius himself is going to have to deal with the lack of free will because he's got none of it. Um, but we'll talk about that when we get to the conversation between Loki and Mobius. Cause yeah, Loki still thinks he's got this grand plan that he's going to be able to manipulate the timekeepers and seize control, but, uh, it doesn't look like he's going to get anywhere close to him at least. Well, he probably will eventually, whatever they, whoever, whatever they are. Um, but not yet if Mobius has anything to say about it. Um, so it's time to do research cause Loki can't be trusted in the field. So he's got to hit the books and he is tasked with going over the variance case files to look for something that the TVA missed. As Mobius tells him, pretend your life depends on it. Uh, Loki gets shushed. Why not? Uh, Loki, of all people, probably needs to be shushed a time or two. And uh, then he wants to access files about the creation of the TVA, the beginning of time, and the end of time. But the archivist, played by Dana uh, Bilenson or Bilenson, uh, isn't having it. All Loki gets, in addition to what Mobius handed him, is his own case file. And the case file that we, the portion of that file that we see Loki reading is the destruction of Asgard. And he makes a key discovery that he will illustrate with salad and things uh, in a few moments. But before we get to that, Loki's reaction to this, like taking the pause, taking a break from... The detective mystery story, the bureaucratic procedural of this sort of government-like agency, not that the TVA is a government, pressing the pause button on all of that 
And just allowing mm-hmm. Loki to have this moment where he has a genuine reaction to reading about the annihilation of his home. Yeah. You know, we see 9,719 casualties. I don't know if that was all from when Asgard blew up or if that was part of the damage Hela did before, because I thought they got everybody on the ship, you know. But, yeah, that's what um, I thought, too. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of people died. Um, and Asgard was destroyed. And it's his reaction to it. And, and I think that it's seeing Loki be hurt by that information and, and reading mm-hmm. that story. And it's just sitting there on a form. You know, I mean, it's as formal and objective. It's presented as objectively and unemotionally as, as you possibly could. And yet Loki is hurt by this. And it just goes back to all of the blustering that Loki does. Like he always acts like he doesn't care you're not my mom, you're not my dad, Asgard's not my home, but Frigga was his mom, Odin was his dad, Asgard yeah. was his home, mm-hmm. and he feels all of that as he's reading about the destruction of Asgard, and we see, once again, that pain that is underneath all of Loki's lies, especially the lies that he tells himself, and so I, I love that sequence. I mean, it's not... It's not drawn out. It's not done as big as, of course, Loki watching his own life play out in the first episode. But just having this quiet moment where he genuinely feels the loss of his home, I thought was really moving. Yeah, that was a again, the idea that this Loki is not going to be the same probably at the end of the series that we got from the MCU version that we all know that died in Infinity War this is going to be a more a more heroic version. And again, that whole deconstruction of that other Loki that we knew of happened or at least started in that previous episode that we got. And now this is just continuing that. And this moment, I think, is a big thing because it gives Loki motivation to not be that evil person because he's like, crap, all the people that I wanted to, quote unquote, rule. Well, they all die. Like, basically. And so any, any, any idea that he had to be King in Asgard again, because he's, he, he establishes in the previous episode that he's not, he doesn't do things because he wants to hurt people. He doesn't enjoy hurting people. So you, you know, that's already there. So he feels that he can be a good ruler and being, if you are going to be a good ruler, you have to care about the kingdom you inhabit. Right. So the fact that he is seeing this and he's getting emotionally, all these people die. And those are all things that are going to be leading him to be that heroic person that we want him to be in this series. And again, the brilliance of having this variant and establishing that every variant is going to be different, um, you know, from that, that lives outside the sacred timeline, you know, is going to be, it sets up the fact that this Loki is going to be predestined to be different and probably be more heroic and maybe see team up with eventually with that Thor. I would prefer him to be still the anti-hero, maybe a little bit better as a little more good, if you will, quote unquote, than what we got in the MCU version at died in infinity war. But this is, is more evidence. The fact that they're going a very a much more heroic route with this character and Tom Hiddleston. So um, again, but again, it's, brilliantly played and it also builds from the plots and everything i love the build-up that we're doing with this character and we're seeing that deconstruction and then now the reconstruction of loki in this episode which has been great yeah i think they're keeping loki i mean i think loki's for a lot of his time in the mcu has been more villain and then been slowly creeping into yeah the anti-hero territory and and i think at best that's where he's at 
even in this show so far. I think he's mm-hmm. still operating in the gray, and it might even be a little more towards the darker spectrum of that gray as opposed to the light so far, because look at his actions in this episode. He betrays the TVA, and he doesn't know at this point how morally wrong the TVA is just yet, although maybe he suspects it, but he's still mainly out for himself and wants to overthrow the timekeepers, not because that's in the best interest of everyone, it's because that's in the best interest of Loki. So there are still things, he's still guided by his own selfish desires and still acting in his own self-interest more so than anything else. So I don't really know that Loki is heroic just yet, but he could get there and there's a part of him that maybe wants to be or at least be decent some of the time uh i think there's uh, some of that within loki and and you see that when he has these more vulnerable moments where the pretense of the god of mischief and chaos and all that stuff when all of that goes away especially in these more private moments we get a chance to see who loki is underneath something that he keeps hiding even after he's exposed that portion of himself to mobius last week he still covers it right back up um, because right. he's not comfortable living with that vulnerability just out there. Um, but we get to we are treated to it here, and it's a, a really great scene. Um, but yeah, Loki is making a discovery here. You know, he comes to the realization when he sees that zero variance energy was detected when Asgard was destroyed, because that's what happened, and that's what was supposed to happen. There was a thing that showed like a little small displacement and something else that Loki might have reacted to that we didn't see, but still no variance energy detected. And Loki figures out uh, what type of place the variant would need to be hiding. So then we go to Loki explaining that in a scene that I'll just affectionately dub, you don't win friends with salad. Um, So the variant is hiding in apocalypses is what Loki wants to explain to Mobius, who's just trying to enjoy his lunch. Nexus events can't cascade into other things that aren't supposed to happen and create a new timeline. They can't do that because whatever differences they start to create that start to build, everything gets wiped out by the apocalyptic event. The apocalypse ultimately serves as its own reset of the timeline. And to prove this point, Loki salts and soaks Mobius's salad. Uh, It doesn't matter that Loki puts salt in Mobius' salad or pepper in it because he completely ruins the salad with Casey's drink because Casey is there too. Um, No alteration is detected, just the complete annihilation because that's supposed to happen. Loki calls it a clumsy metaphor, but it is accurate. The variant can hide in the apocalypse doing whatever they want without being detected because the the apocalypse destroys everything anyway. So there's also a funny bit about Loki stabbing people in the back, which we got from the trailer. But uh, as Mobius rightfully is hesitant to trust Loki, his rationale is that Loki, you can trust him because Loki loves to be right. And it's a valid point. So even if Loki wants to betray Mobius, he doesn't want to betray Mobius as badly as Loki wants to prove that he's right. And therefore he's smart because Loki is desperate for validation But I love the scene. I thought it was funny, but I also thought it was very clever in the way that it was laid out. And as well as paying off the mystery of how are you going to find this variant. Uh, But it's also important to note that this is the worst thing Loki's ever done. If we're talking about whether or not he's a hero or he's a villain, let's remember that in this scene, he has ruined lunch for not one, but two people. 
Mobius wanted that salad, as he said, and now it's ruined. And Casey no longer has his preferred beverage to go with whatever food he's eating, which was probably fish. Not that he would know that that's what it is, but love this scene. Yeah, this was a, a great scene. Established the fact that again, Loki's no this Loki's no du- no dummy, and again, more more uh, just great interactions between Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. They, they have a great chemistry together, and when two great actors can do that off of each other, it just it's it's great to see. And so yeah, this was a, this is a great scene. It's establishing too that how this Loki variant is doing this and how it's because mm. obviously they're able to, you know, elude the TVA, but how, and there was a great, it was a very, again, complicated, but yet simplified version of what, how they're doing it. And it was pretty, again, I was impressive. Like, okay, that's a, that's yep. a really creative way of doing it. Yeah. And just in case the clumsy salad metaphor did not work, they test this in Pompeii 79 AD Loki is thrilled to be seen by the people of Pompeii and say whatever he wants before volcano explodes and they all die or volcano erupts and they all die. Because as Loki shouts out, nothing matters. Yes, this is a very sad scene considering what actually happened. It was also funny, though, to watch the excitement, not so much on the part of Loki, although that was funny. What was funnier was seeing Mobius having to restrain himself, like saying, we don't want to get too giddy. It is cool, but it's just not in good taste to be all excited about what's about to happen with this disaster for all of these people. But it does prove Loki right. He was doing all of this stuff, and he was announcing to everyone in Pompeii that he and Mobius are from the Time Variance Authority, saying that we are from the future, right? The TVA sounds futury, but it's also calls into question the nature of the TVA and, and where slash when exactly it comes from. But uh, no variance of energy is detected. Loki does all of these things that you would think would create a branch, but it doesn't because everything is uh, everything is wiped out in this natural disaster. So he didn't need to start with bird noises, as Mobius had uh, has hinted. Um, but what also worked for me in this scene that I thought was great was this is probably the most confident we've seen Loki since this whole thing started because I I think he's been on his heels the whole time with the TVA. Even when he was in the field earlier and trying to spin his lie, it didn't look like this. And so I I really thought it it was enjoyable to see Loki enjoying this experience so much. But also, as I said, Mobius having to hold back uh, was maybe the best part of the scene for me. I think it was, again, establishing the fact that Owen, or Mo, to me, I call him Owen, Mobius is starting to trust or give the appearance that he's trusting Loki. Again, I still think I still think there's somehow he's he's manipulating Loki completely still. But this was a great scene of, of showing that Mo, that Loki is understanding and it is right. And so, again, the way <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah. How, how it worked out. Again, it was, it was very fun. And the fact that, you know, and again, showing Mobius actually cares about these people. We got that yeah. in the previous episode as well with the Kablooey kid, but now we get yeah, this even the Kablooey kid. More. The Kablooey kid might have gone Kablooey. I don't know. Um, well, right. Which, there's... by the way, I I thought for a second there. I'm like, what if that's a Loki variant? Oh, the kid. I don't. Yeah. Know. I, 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 I think I think I'm wrong. I, I mean, all right, it's not going to happen. I, but I thought it'd be interesting. Yeah, if... I, I don't expect to see that kid again. I, I think. Kablooey was the last we got of him, you know, the callback in this episode. But what if you kid Loki? Yeah, 
Sure, why not? Uh, we'll we'll mark it, it out there. We'll mark it down on. as a. Uh, we'll file that receipt for you. I think I don't that cashing that one in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't bank on it. Um, That's fine. I, I like again calling into question our, our assumption about the TVA because we would just assume they're from like the end of time. That's why they know that everything how everything goes but that's not quite true either as we find out from mobius in a later conversation in this um but yeah i i thought this was a, a really good way of, of illustrating the point in a much uh i i would say i guess not so clumsy way as the salad you know the salad metaphor worked well enough but it's better to see it in action and we got this very uh this very effective demonstration here but there is something to be said for mobius in the way he seems to genuinely care for people that comes up uh, later on in the episode. So they now know that the variant is likely hiding in an apocalypse, but which apocalypse? Well, Mobius is able to refine the search a little bit because the only way this theory would really work, according to Mobius, is that the disasters have to be naturally occurring with no warning and no survivors. But if you're looking across all of space and time, turns out there's a lot of those. So the search is exhausting, and they take a break for fun with philosophy. Loki asks Mobius why he has a jet ski magazine, to which Mobius responds, because they're awesome. And Loki, I suppose they are. I got a kick out of Loki admitting that jet skis are awesome, because with all the things Loki has seen, he doesn't have to be impressed by jet skis, but I appreciate that he conceded that point. As Mobius yeah. said that, you know, in the early 1990s, a beautiful union of form and function. But Mobius, as much as he loves jet skis, has never been on one because if he did, a TVA agent riding a jet ski would create a branch. I don't know if it would, though. What if nobody saw him? I, I don't know mm. that that would create a branch. But either way, I guess Mobius doesn't feel like it's worth it. And so that means that Mobius has denied himself this simple pleasure. And it also means that Mobius has his own part to play and nothing more. Mobius has a job to do as an analyst for the TVA. That's his role, period. Uh, riding jet skis is not a part of that. So as much as he would love to, and he probably will in episode six, you're going to see Mobius rock a jet ski. There's my receipt. Uh, I think that will happen at some point, or maybe earlier. Mobius might get to ride a jet ski, but uh, right now he's... That's saves the day. Yeah, exactly, ski. on a jet ski. <laughs> uh, maybe even a space jet ski. I don't know. But it was interesting for that with, with Mobius, though, because as much as he was advocating on Loki's behalf that Loki could play a different part, um, that's not even something that Mobius really considers for himself. Yeah, the, the 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 jet ski thing felt very. I hate to say, nineteen nineties. When he said it, yeah, as it's he's supposed to it, though. Well, I know, I know, but just as he's saying it before yeah. he kind of mentions the whole idea of it, just one time in the early nineties, I've been on a jet ski like once or twice. I ain't gonna lie, they're pretty fun, and I hate going fast. And even I liked it and felt like I wasn't gonna die on it. It was, you know, it was whatever. But uh, yeah, jet skis are kind of fun. So yeah, yeah well, I'll say I'll say that. And I can remember being a kid in the early 90s and everybody wanted to be on a jet ski. He wasn't That's wrong. Great. There was yeah, a time when wrong. that was yeah. a really popular thing to go do. And you'd be really envious of anyone who got to go do it if you hadn't had the opportunity to have that experience yourself. Um, but I just 
There's something very, very sad, though, about this idea of Mobius reading this magazine of, of this thing he'll never, ever, ever get to do. And he should be able to do. I mean, he can travel across all of time, and yet he can't ride a jet ski or can't allow himself to ride a jet ski. And then Loki asks Mobius if he really believes in all this TVA stuff. And that's where Mobius gets into it, saying that he doesn't get hung up on believe or not believe. He just accepts what is. And then Loki tries to point out how ridiculous it sounds of these space lizards or timekeepers, as Mobius corrects him, that they created the TVA and everyone in it, including Mobius. And Mobius just says, yeah, that's what it is. And even though Loki calls that out as just being completely unbelievable, well, so is Loki's origin, according to Mobius. Mm -hmm. I mean, he points out, hey, your dad's a frost giant. You're but the father or your biological father is a frost giant. The father who raised you is a god. You're from Asgard, a mystical realm beyond the stars. And uh, Mobius makes a winning point here in that because if you think too hard about where any of us came from, who we truly are, it sounds kind of ridiculous. Existence is chaos. Nothing makes any sense. So we try to make some, uh, some sense of it. And Mobius speaks of his own glorious purpose. He says, because the TVA is my life and it's real because I believe it's real. But I would point out that the TVA doesn't really allow existence to be chaos, right? Because they only yep. allow time to unfold in certain ways that fit within the sacred timeline. So there's part of what Mobius is saying here that I think is a contradiction. He may not be fully, doesn't seem to be fully aware of mm -hmm. that uh, maybe existence should be chaos to some extent. Uh, and then where random things can happen, um, hopefully not bad things, but uh, yeah, there's a part of that. But I, I don't think that uh, maybe Mobius isn't considering his own role in, in how existence doesn't get to be chaos and, and how that's limiting everyone across all of time or a lot of people yeah. across time. Yeah. And, and the whole, again, it gets so heady in this episode. And where do you come from and where it is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, and man. that was a very meta back and forth between the two of them because right. like, the origin of pretty much any character in this Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of ridiculous, especially the more fantastical ones like characters mm -hmm. from something called the Time Variance Authority or certainly as Guardians. Yeah. And again, I, I, I think it's great to point out because everyone comes from somewhere. And if you think too hard about it, it it's and that's very true about a lot of stuff out there. And, you know, I love the fact that they're talking about this and they're, they're even establishing that they, that it's the same thing in the time variance authority. That's super complex and super heady as it is in like our own real world and very meta for these characters as well. Again, clever writing in a sense to where they're tackling issues and approaching it the, the right way. And I think the fact they're, they're taking on the issue and the things that people would like criticize a show on or something like this, like, well, where do these people, why are they so powerful? Right. You know, again, I, and then those are valid criticisms, but how they're handling those issues is so, again, so simple, but yet they're able to, it, they're able to get away with it because they handle it so well the way it's written. So again, that is a credit to the writing staff of this show by bar none. Yeah. Well, and also that line of it's real because I believe it's real. There's mm -hmm. that part of it where, I mean, some things just need to be factual as far as whether or not they exist, but there's also that part of just, that's really more, I think a statement about what things mean to you 
in that it, mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily, even if it's something that may seem ridiculous that nobody else may believe in or might be something that, that resonates with you, but not with them, but it does resonate with you. So that's what matters. What matters is the meaning that you are getting out of it and the fulfillment right. that you experience as a result of it. So, you know, that's where, you know, the MCU is real because I believe it's real. No, I, I know it's, I know it's not. I just enjoy it a lot, but mm -hmm. yeah, I love that back and forth, but then it gets into, you know, we keep going into these complicated concepts of Loki challenging Mobius here and saying, so everything is written past, present, future. There's no such thing as free will. And Mobius calls it an oversimplification, but Loki presses on. So in fact, in a way, you and I here at the TVA, we're the only ones who are actually free. I don't really think that's true. The, the debate doesn't mm -hmm. really continue from there. I don't think that's true. It has the potential to be, which I think is what Loki is really getting at after being armed with what they know now. But they're not free until they can actually act free without consequence, you know, or make choices. I mean, there can be consequences if they're doing the wrong thing and they're held accountable. But if it's just the TVA setting its own arbitrary rules of here's what's allowed on the timeline and here's what isn't, then I don't know that Loki and Mobius are free. Mobius isn't free until he feels that he can ride a jet ski. I, I would say that much right there. Uh, but I, I just love getting into that conversation. And also the way Mobius brushes it off, because he does actually have a tendency to brush things off that are more complicated as oversimplifications when he doesn't really want to get into it. That happened last week when he's talking about like approvals versus disapprovals. Well, that's not really what it is. Um, when they talk about resets, well, that's not really what it is, but kind of like there's any time some of these things come up where you have to, where there's an opportunity to get into the, the real deeper meaning of what these things are and what's actually happening. Mobius doesn't get into that. And so, and I think that's part of his ten, his own tendency of just accepting what is and, and not really worrying about what things should be or, or shouldn't be or anything like that. And that's where Mobius has a character arc. I mean, we spend so much time talking about what Loki has to learn and what he has to move yeah. past and, and, you know, move past his hurt and move past his need to mask his pain with all these other things, these man, these demonstrations of power to try and achieve some uh, sense of control that he re deep down knows that he really doesn't have. Well, Mobius has some growing to do as well in this story. He's got to be able to look at not just what is, but whether or not it should be and whether or not it needs to change, because that's not really something that's not the type of question that Mobius really asks, but he kind of needs to. And I think he will as the series goes on. Uh, Loki then wants to know how it all ends and Mobius says that they don't know. The timekeepers are untangling the epilogue from its infinite branches. But when the timekeepers are finished, so is the TVA. That would mean no more Nexus events, just order, and they meet in peace at the end of time. So Loki notes that uh, if it's all just order, it sounds kind of boring if there is no mm -hmm. chaos. Mobius obviously differs, uh, even if that means he'll never get to ride a jet ski. So chaos versus order is another one of the, the themes here at the center of this, which it's pretty obvious when you have Loki versus the time variance authority that's trying to protect a single timeline across all of space and time and make sure there is there can only be one. Um, that is the show, or at least that's a big part of this show. And it's going to be what creates, you know, it's going to be at the heart of the conflicts that we continue to see 
uh, in this episode and throughout subsequent episodes. And then uh, Loki, which I think is fascinating and fun and interesting. I love diving into it and exploring it in different ways each week. And then Loki harkens back to Mobius calling him a scared little boy. But Loki Mm. knows what children don't, as I mentioned earlier, that no one bad is ever truly bad and no one good is ever truly good. Which is another big philosophical debate that you could create a whole series of podcasts about uh, that wouldn't necessarily have to have anything to do with Marvel or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But Loki calling that into question, I think, is very important because it's it leads to an examination. Him having that understanding should lead to an even deeper examination of his own identity, his own sense of self so loki seeing it as the world it's basically loki saying we're we're not seeing this in black and white terms and he doesn't say this but yeah it is in some part about what people do and it doesn't always have to be part of some inherent thing of of who or what they are but that comment though no one bad is ever truly bad no one good is ever truly good that's i I think in a way whether he means to or not although i think he kind of does loki is establishing the idea of free will that It comes down to the choices you make, because if you're truly bad deep down, then you will only be it's already written. You will only do bad things. Right. But that can't really make you truly bad if you're just living out what you're programmed to be. And the same thing for being good. If you're not making choices to do good things and doing it out of doing it to serve others as opposed to serving yourself, then you're not really good either. Are you? So it is about the choices that you make, and it is about your free will as opposed to what's going to decide these things. And there's no way to, especially if you're looking at Asgardian terms of living thousands of years, that that you do one thing or not do one thing, and that brands you for who you are forever. This points to having the ability to change. But if you're if you do bad things, you have the capacity to not be truly. You're not truly bad. You have the capacity to turn it around to do good things. And if you are good, well, that does, if you're doing good things, it doesn't mean that it's automatic that you're truly good and you will always do the right thing. You have to continue that process. And so I I think that there's a lot, there's a lot that you could explore. There's so much more than I've, uh, than I've just barely looked at here. No kidding. Um, But I'm I'm all about this. And I, and I think it also points to Loki's perspective on the world in that good and bad are, are not simple terms. I mean, with two characters sitting across from each other, I was there was definitely some interrogation scene vibes of like they're only as good as the world allows them to be with the Joker and the Dark Knight and all of that. But I think it's a slight, more than slight. I think it's a different application of it and a, a little bit of a different point that yeah. uh, that Loki's making here. But it also points to his complex view of morality that it's it's not as simple as this binary thing of good and bad. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, but Mobius takes his cue from just the scared little boy reference. Um, and that makes him remember the scared little boy from France who had Kablooey. So that's how they narrow their field of apocalyptic uh, disasters to sort through. Kablooey was sold regionally on Earth from 2047 to 2051. I like when they're going to try and search with this uh, or perform this more narrow uh, search that they make a gentleman's bet. Play for pride, uh, as Mobius said. I love that line. Yeah. um, And they, although you think that was narrowing it down, but not as much as maybe you would assume, 
because we hear about lots of disasters on Earth in that time period. A climate disaster of 2048, a tsunami of 2051. In 2050, the extinction of the swallow, uh, Krakatoa erupting in 2049, and Mobius points out just one damn thing after another, isn't it? Cyclone, famine, volcanoes. Well, this is a not even remotely subtle commentary on climate change and what it will ultimately lead to. So I like Marvel making that point here, uh, and I, mm-hmm. I respect them for them for putting that in the show. Um, but also, and I think the way that they did it, you know, I, I liked it. I, I thought the the execution of that, the inclusion of that in this idea, I thought worked really well. Um, but Loki, for the record, won the gentleman's bet because he found the apocalyptic event where the variant was hiding. Haven Hills, Alabama in 2015, a corporate town owned by Roxcart, which I'm guessing is part of Roxon, I guess, somewhere, wiped out by a hurricane. And the variant can uh, go back there over and over and over again uh, without being detected. And plenty of supplies there because uh, they've got Kablooey at Roxcart in Haven Hills, Alabama in 2050. So uh, I like there's a couple other little fun bits on that. Like when there's no candy on Asgard, they've got grapes and nuts. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I like Moby's point. No wonder you're so bitter. Um, and Mobius, uh, but I, I mentioned before a line that points to Loki's future here. Mobius makes the comment. He says, you're going to take my job if you're not careful. Mm. And it could just be a compliment that Mobius is, is paying to Loki. Sure. Might be all that it is. But since we're in the business of, of reading way too much into far too little, let's go ahead and run with this for a second. I think there are going to be other seasons of this show. And Mm. even if the TVA has an antagonistic role, it doesn't mean it stays that way or it has to stay that way. Or if it does, it doesn't mean, you know, it, it doesn't mean the TVA has to go away one way or another at the end of this season. And so maybe Mobius and Loki both decide neither one of them is going to work for the TVA. And that's how it is. But if the TVA stays in existence, Loki could keep working with them perhaps as an analyst in future seasons of Loki, because I think this is one that is going to get multiple seasons and not be a limited mm-hmm. series like WandaVision. And as I was saying, when I when I heard this line, I was thinking back to the conversation with Renslayer and thinking, wait a minute, but if there's another analyst that's already out there and Mobius is kind of jealous but doesn't really know who that is, I don't know. What if that is Loki already? You know, some version of Loki in the future. The the future version of this Loki that we're dealing with now is already an analyst for the TVA. But if that was Renslayer's analyst, why would she be doubting Loki at this point? I don't know. So there's the paradox that says it, it probably isn't true. But I I certainly think there's a, a future of Loki and, and Mobius working together. That is a very, very good point about how th- that little line, that subtle line could lead to multiple seasons. And again, the idea that the TVA, I think the TVA is going to be in, in this the MCU proper after the season. I don't think it's going anywhere. It may be rerun and reorganized by, again, I brought up the watcher. That's why I, one, one of the reasons I want to bring up the watchers, I think the watchers might come into play in this. And I don't really, they don't really come into play in the comic books with these characters, but with the MCU and a little, little bit more condensed, 
I wouldn't be shocked if the watchers are somehow involved in helping them eventually or something like that. So I do, I do like that. All, all, all that, I, all that idea, Sean, about how Loki could be setting up Mobius, taking over, over from Mobius or working for Mobius, setting up Owen Wilson, having a mm-hmm. smaller reoccurring role. He doesn't have to be in every episode like he is in the season. You know, he could be a thing where he signs up and says, okay, I am required to come back for X amount of episodes or whatever. And that way he, he can come in and help out or whatever. Um, so a little side note um, before we move on. I love any time that any, whether it be a comic book, MCU film, whatever, pays homage to the phenomenal Roxxon Corporation. And I say phenomenal in a sense to where how it is the evil organization of the Marvel Universe and they Mm -hmm. use different facets of the Roxxon name. In this case, it is a giant, you know, Walmart uh, corporation or using the offshoot of the corporation. And it's called Roxcart, which Mm -hmm. I thought was awesome. So again, anytime you have that, like that or brand organization as like this evil empire, uh, from a corporate you know standpoint, I, I do appreciate. So good, good, good little, uh, homage right there. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a rocks on rocks on has been part of the MCU. I mean, it's been, there's a sign well, for yeah, them in, right. in Iron Man. There was the guy who was from the rocks on oil corporation in a, in a staged not murder by the phony Mandarin Trevor Slattery in Iron Man three. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether you count it or not, there's I think pretty sure Roxxon's there in Agent Carter. It's probably somewhere in Agents of Shield a number of times. Not that that yeah. really counts in the in the sacred timeline anyway. Ooh. So, um, Ooh, all right, all right. But uh, well, I mean, based on the conversation that Mobius and Loki had last week, it seems like you know, yeah, did not allude well, I, to a, a timeline where in the future uh, Coulson yeah. is alive. Just like that dude's dead. I just, I, and this yeah. is to say, I, I, I understand that. I just, I just like anytime I see it, I enjoy it. Oh so. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, uh, with Roxcart, that is our, that is our mission. And uh, shout out to Natalie Holt, the composer for the series. The score has been great the whole time, but man, when they cut to this mission with Roxcart, I mean, the ominous score as the sign gets blown away in the hurricane. But then when they're inside the store, it's a combination of ominous and creepy. The score yeah. is so good. So far, two episodes in, definitely my favorite score of the Marvel Studios Disney Plus series so far. Just has to be. Like, I, I love it so, mm. so much. Uh, but uh, B-15 and some Minutemen, as well as another Hunter D-90, played by Neil Ellis, they are along for the ride on this mission. Uh, I like when they were getting ready to go that Mobius tried to arm Loki as like a just-in-case, and B-15 just grabs it. Like, absolutely not. <laughs> love that um but they get there they're at rock cart loki uses magic because he can here to uh dry himself doesn't want squeaky shoes makes sense um and also i just wouldn't want to walk around rock's cart wet either so i totally understand and we see the variant watching all the tva and loki via security monitors and uh b15 pairs up with loki while Mobius goes with D90 and the rest of the Minutemen uh, to go where there is kind of a makeshift bunker at this facility, and they're going to search for this variant Loki, who could be anyone. And B15 and Loki find someone shopping for Azaleas, because they're half off, uh, played by Lucius Baston. Um, He has indeed been taken over by the variant, but immediately transfers over to B15, and a great way, uh, a great line here as a response is when Loki says, oh, 
you're me and then or something to that effect a nice to meet me and and then b15 who is the variant at this point saying if anyone's anyone you're me uh, which does point to the variant being loki and not necessarily enchantress although there's a way both those things can be true and i will explain i promise um meanwhile mobius is telling the others not to scare the doomed locals in the back of the store and when i talk about the the decency in mobius it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make him uh it doesn't divorce him from responsibility for his role in the tva although if he was created to fulfill a certain role and only allowed to see himself as as fulfilling that role does mobius really have free will and if he does if he doesn't he probably doesn't and so if he doesn't is he really responsible for what he's done as a member of the tva another very complicated question but the decency that we see here from Mobius, I really liked when I think it's the Hunter D90 is trying to say, like, who cares if they're scared? They should be scared. They're all going to die. And Mobius yeah. response to that is so perfect. He just says, but not he said, OK, but not of us. Yes, I I don't know why. Like it's there's bigger things happening in this scene, but sometimes it's the smallest little lines that carry the most meaning of, of who a character is and what they're about. And that was certainly a huge point in favor of this inherent decency and kindness within Mobius. But what I also enjoy so much about the character is he has that, but it's not to the point where it makes him naive or gullible as we see with the way he's able to see through Loki earlier in the episode. Just a really well-rounded character that shows like you can be decent and smart at the same time. um, And and not just, you know, fall for every trick just because you choose to be kind when you can. Well, and, and I wanted to say last episode that the Mobius character, and again, I'm just, I didn't get the the second part of what I'm going to say here completely confirmed, but I'm pretty, pretty, very confident this is what it is. It was created by Walter Simonson, and he's loosely based off of Mark Grunewald, the guy who basically is the whole story of Falcon Winter Soldier was based off of his story with U.S. Agent. And, and that's who the, the look of, uh, Mobius, which Owen Wilson is very much plays a part of. He's got a little more gray in his hair than the Mobius character in the comic books, but he's got a mustache and, and it emulates what Mark Grunewald looked look like. And also um, the name Mobius from the artist Mobius as well. Uh, that second part, I'm, I'm pretty sure is accurate, but didn't get it hundred percent confirmed. I bring all that up because Mark Grunewald was regarded as a very kind person. And, and in the comics, he's regarded as a very kind person as well. And I just like the fact that they're emulating that with this Mobius character. And you see that throughout this last two episodes that this character Owen Wilson's playing isn't just like so dubious to the uh, TVA that he's like, Durham's going to do it. I'm a, you know, I'm just a, a company man. And he is to an extent, but he's not like, again, that good naturedness that you have is very much what the Mark Grunewald was based off from, from Marvel comic books. And everyone who worked with them pretty much said that Mark was like one of the nicest, like kind of hardest people ever mm-hmm. and so it's really cool to see that emulated through the show and on this character that these last two episodes and that, that line was one thing that i really did like to sean as he said yeah sure but you know what we don't have to be we don't have to add to it and again mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't being like no we gotta save these people it was he no it was very much in line with the character and what they've been doing for forever it seems right. like and and but still establishing the fact that like we don't we don't need to make it worse 
you know, like, mm-hmm. come on, like show some compassion. And I, I, in that one simple line, and you, you definitely embody everything that I think that that character represents in that one line. So yeah, it was great to see or to hear him say that and emphasize again. Cause I think I don't, I honestly think, and it's obvious that I think this character is going to be a more important character in than what they're in right now compared to, yeah, compared to what they're in right now, they'll, they'll probably become a leader. Maybe even become the future judge. What that he's, you know, been talking to Rens. What's, what's her name? I always forget her name. Renslayer. Um, Renslayer. Uh, he might become the new Renslayer. So that's, that's where I feel like we're going with this. And his, his role as in TVA is going to be elevated once they overthrow whatever the hell the timekeepers are is or whatever. So yeah, I, I, again, I like that, that line as well. Unless the decision is to leave the TVA, but if he was created by the TVA or by the timekeepers to carry out TVA missions, can he exist outside of the TVA? Another, it's like can vision exist outside of the hex. I don't know. I will yeah, see what happens yeah. with this guy. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like they can't control because they're not allowed to change what happens and create new branches be, based on the rules of the TVA. They can't change that all these people are going to die. That's not supposed to be within their control. But what is within their control is how they behave and how they act toward these people. And just because yeah. they are doomed in this moment doesn't mean that they're not human, doesn't mean that they don't deserve kindness and respect, uh, which is what he's uh, saying there. And he says it in a much... He he says it simply and, and, and to the point, which I, I which I am not doing. So let's move on. But yeah, I <laughs> loved that line. So um, they find C twenty, who, as we talked about earlier, gave away the location of the timekeepers, how to find them, and we're cutting back to Loki and the variant. And Loki notes the trick that the variant is using: enchantment. And he calls it cowardly and amateurish. But the variant then knocks Loki for working with the TVA. And the variant takes over Randy, played by Austin Freeman. And Loki wants to see the variant's true self. And while Loki's also claiming that he's gained the TVA's confidence, so Randy mocks this like Loki's gone undercover, even though really he's just been captured uh, by the TVA. Uh, Loki has an offer for the variant, offers the variant a spot as his qualified lieutenant or lieutenant, as Loki print says it, uh, in Loki's mission to overthrow the timekeepers. And he says, what say you Loki to the variant? And the variant responds, "Ugh, don't call me that. You can call me Randy. The variant as expected passes on the offer, not interested in ruling the time variance authority. And certainly not interested in being Loki's Lieutenant, our Loki's Lieutenant while our Loki rules the time variance authority. But the reaction to being called Loki by the variant, I think, is key here. It wasn't, that's not my name. It wasn't, that's not who I am. It was disgust. It was, ugh, don't call me that, which is really more like, don't call me this, a name associated with an identity that I have shed, I think is what that really, that response represents to me. Uh, But I'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about who is the variant really uh, when we get to the very end of the episode. Um, so as I said, the variant passed on the offer. Uh, meanwhile, we see that the variant, because uh, we see these enchanted people who are the variant, but also the hooded figure that is the variant is also working this whole time. And has been, there's a countdown and the TV, there's a lot of TVA tech. We see the reset charges that have been stolen and we see another little the doohickey they use to travel from one uh, one place in time to another. 
and uh, Randy then is tra- is traded out for some big dude who in the credits is listed as Country Hoss, played by Hawk Waltz. I can't think of a better name for an actor to play a character named Country Hoss than Hawk Waltz. So there we have it. That's uh, fair. And Country Hoss kicks the crap out of Loki. Uh, Loki is able to use some magic, uh, but still gets whooped. Our Loki is able to use some magic, but still gets whooped. And he even says, I would never treat me like this. Uh, the variant, uh, we all see the variant has connected a bunch of reset charges to this little device that lets the TVA go where slash when they want. The variant lets go, uh, releases the enchantment on the big dude who just passes out because that's what happens to all of them when the enchantment uh, effect is over. And our Loki asks, what do you want from me? What is this about? And we hear those lines echoing as the variant reveals herself. It is Sophia DiMartino is the name of the actress wearing a Loki horned crown and saying and just says the one line. This isn't about you. Loki looks back at the variant and just says, right. Does he recognize her or is he just saying right and accepting that this is a completely different Mm. variant? I don't know. This is worth uh, exploring when we get to the Sylvie topic in, in just a little bit. But the countdown ends. The reset charges light up, then go purple. They start dropping through portals, being distributed across space and time. The sacred timeline we see is branching out, and uh, it's branching out several times over. So the sacred timeline really is just completely falling apart. The control room freaks out, and one of the people working in the control room played by Jesse Gavin and uh, says somebody just bombed the sacred timeline. Quick side note. Make sure you're following Jesse Gavin and David Lengel, who played Phil Jones, at least inside the hex. He was Phil Jones on WandaVision. So they're both really, really funny. And also they made a TikTok together where there could only be one because they both have impressive mustaches and only one mustache could survive with these Mm. uh, real MVP MCU actors. Uh, So you've got to check that out. I think it was David Lengel actor is the handle for David Lengel on TikTok. Definitely worth checking out. So... Yeah, that was really, really funny and certainly a highlight of the week for me. Um, Renslayer looks on, then grabs a weapon. Uh, We see Minutemen and Hunters taking off. And then we're cut. This is inside the TVA. And then we cut back to Alabama. The variant walks through a portal and Loki follows as as, uh, Mobius, not Morbius. (laughs) Mobius is shouting after him to wait. Loki doesn't wait. He follows the variant through the portal. Um, Just... Wow, the ramifications of this scene, I just, I I don't even know. I mean, a a quick, another little enjoyable note in this scene, though, is um, Loki's response to, you know, Randy Loki or Randy Variant, you know, saying some of the stuff he said, like, and then our Loki saying, God, now I understand why Thor found this so annoying. Oh, that was awesome. You know, Loki being annoyed by some of his own medicine, I I thought was great. Uh, But yeah, this scene was the back and forth and... You know, credit to these actors who are all having to play some version of Loki, it would seem, or maybe it's not Loki. We'll talk about that. But uh, credit to all these actors who are having to play, you know, at least come across as some version of Loki in this scene. Um, And I thought all their performances worked. And then just the bombshell, literally, the bombing of the sacred timeline and the way this played out, establishing how bad that is from the TVA's perspective in this episode in very simple terms, but then in a very big, dramatic way, showing that this is all falling apart. We're not just talking about one branch. We're talking about branches 
all the over branches. the place. Yeah. yeah. And, and and people have paused this and, and they've collected the different destinations and times, like all the different of where these branches are. There's one that's like Vormir, hundreds of years in the future. There's one on Titan from like 1982 or something like that. There's one on Ego, the living planet from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But then there's other places on, on Earth. I think Beijing is, is one of the spots. These things are happening. Xandar, of course, not on Earth, uh, has its own. There's a branch timeline happen, forming there. These things are happening. These nexus events are occurring all across space and time. So it's way more, we think, than the TVA is going to be able to keep up with. I mean, I know they're rushing out at the end of the episode. Are they really going to be able to reset all of these events immediately? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I, I really I don't. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that we will see that this is, yeah, this is going to hit red line and um, it's chaos. It's, I don't think it's, but I, I don't believe Miss Minutes. It's not, it's not the end of all reality. It's the expansion of all reality. Yeah. It's the end of their reality being king. Yeah. That is the key. And that's, and that to me is where I thought, the real bombshell of this episode was more so than the variant reveal, the variant reveal. It, it seemed telegraphed. It's uh, I almost think I almost put out like a, a TikTok of this actually of, of a Quicksilver. Like it says, like uh, I put the headline of the writer, the writers of Loki. You didn't see that one coming about the ending of Loki. As far as the variant reveal, it's like, Oh yeah, the good one. Never saw that one coming. You know, I, I just, that to me seemed very obvious because they set it up they kept saying he, 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 he. Mm-hmm. And we all know that they're in the Marvel universe. There's been a number of different Lokis. Now you've had the female Loki. You've got the, you know, the young Loki, little mm-hmm. boy Loki, which I think I liked all iterations of those characters. To be honest, I really liked the, I said all of them. They all represented different aspects of the character and and that personality of Loki for good and for evil. Um, But one of the things that I thought, or the the thing I thought that left me kind of like an impression was, oh, this this variant or whoever we'll get into in a second, they're bombing, they're they're creating all these different timelines, not over again, but creating it, basically making the TVA obsolete. Yeah. That is, and they're fast. using the TVA's own weapons to do it. Exactly. Like, yes. These reset charges, we know what they do. They disintegrate things. Mm-hmm. So, like wherever they went, like they were destroying stuff. Like they were taking people out of the sacred timeline at that moment, which creates a branch from that point, come spiraling out of the mm-hmm. sacred timeline. So, I mean, it's also, you know, who are they taking out? What what events yeah, are they? Is, yeah. 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 You know, will that and that's be, what leads me to, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I don't think this, I don't think the rest of the series is tracking down all these different events. There's already too many. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I was going to lead to as well. Sean is that I, I thought this would be a little bit longer or not the longer, but this would be as long as the other episodes. And when I found out, I actually found out this week that it's only six. I'm like, Oh wait, what? It's only six episodes. Okay. So I even more so feel that this is very much a setup for a lot of, things mm. coming down the line in the Marvel universe, especially with all these different titles, like the multiverse of madness and Spider-Man no way home. They're setting up these different timelines. And what if too, I mean, and granted what if it's a little bit smaller, a little more self-contained being the animated series or whatever. But that being said, it's still a multiverse. 
Right. And right. And before this didn't exist. And that's why I brought the watchers that with all this going on, this to me gives more necessity of the watchers being around because they're going to be watching these realities. And so I'm like, okay, so I feel that this is, again, I don't want to bring up Kang, but whatever is, is in charge of TVA, it, if it is Kang, this would give him reason to get mega pissed off mm-hmm. and be like, holy crap, uh, my controlled reality just got out of control. I got to fix this. And that sets him on a destination to do that, whether or not he yeah. is, he is a time of uh, TVA or the, or the three timekeepers all in the one or they work for King, whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. It, it, it then to me leads to the fact that this is definitely going to happen or this definitely is the crux of multiverse of madness, all that stuff where this will kind of lead them into that, those directions. And it, like what you said too, Sean, that, you know, if this is going to be a reoccurring series, not just a mini series, this right here creates the reason for it to exist in the first place. So it was actually, again, this is a bigger moment that I, I think for the MCU than just the reveal of the variant. So I, I love this. And also, I don't know if we talked about it. Side note, the purple in the uh, destructing or the, the whatever those things are called, the oh my gosh, I the names of them. Yeah, the, the uh, reset charges. Reset charges. I can't think of the reset charges. They're purple. Yeah. I, 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 when I rewatched it, I'm like, oh yeah, they're purple. I forgot. Just, yeah, you definitely note. forgot because we talked about it last week. But yeah, oh, I, told, I, I, I just was like, I, I was reminded. I know. I'm just pointing out we're both getting older and forgetting things. But um, it happens. But you know, speaking of Kang, at, at the risk of annoying people, um, yeah. which we will save some for the Patreon credit scene. But yeah, like even if Kang is not behind the, the TVA, what yeah. if this is what opens the door for Kang? What if the TVA had locked him out? Ooh, all right. And all right. now all right. they can't because okay. Okay. this has happened. So either way, you know, uh, I like, I like where your head's at with this one. All I branches like lead to King. So Ooh, I like, this. I think that, yeah, this scene, it's big in story within this series, but the implications of this could be very far reaching. This could ultimately prove to be the point that the event that allows the stories that we will see in no way home or multiverse of madness. This could be the moment that allows those things to exist in the first place. Yeah. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. now the sacred timeline is not just one thing anymore. We're branching out back into multiple timelines, the multiverse and all of that stuff. And of course that could spiral into even bigger events. I've talked before we mentioned last week, secret wars and all this other stuff. So we may look back on, I mean, we're already looking at this moment now saying this could be huge, but we could look back on it and say, yeah, it, it really was. Or maybe they resolved this and it's something else that's of the multiverse. So they don't think so. This, why not? Why would it be anything else? They have this right here, right now, and everybody's buying into it. So hopefully this is what they're just rolling with. But I also think that what matters as much as anything else, at least in this individual story, not looking at the overall bigger picture of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But in this story, especially when we're seeing all these events and and where slash when are they happening? And also, where did they go at the end of this episode? Like the variant left and Loki followed. So I think we will see where they wherever they went. We'll find that out next week. 
But what matters just as much as where they went, even perhaps even more, arguably more than where they went, is just the fact that Loki already followed, right? Mm. Like, I, I think that is where, that's the key, is that the variant revealed herself to Loki and Loki followed. And, and also the variant has made it clear, no intention of working with this Loki, no respect right. for this Loki or even the name Loki. Mm-hmm. And yet this Loki followed and we know that this loki loves to follow power right didn't really seem that interested in the tva until some infinity stone paperweights convinced him that this was the ultimate power in the universe well now this power demonstration by this variant is telling him that this is the one to be followed but also we get into this idea of identity which i'll explore more when we talk about the whole sylvie thing but loki was clearly moved in some capacity by seeing who this was or or seeing what this variant looked like and you know looking like a different version of himself and and looking unlike because all of the other loki variants that we saw in the holograms i believe they all presented as they all appeared to be male um so we see this woman version of loki and that may ultimately represent you know an even bigger idea of of choosing an identity and, and who you get to be is changing form on the outside, but also maybe changing on the inside, depending on what we see mm. for this version of Loki and, and morally and ethically what she's choosing to do. Although potentially she's also done some pretty bad things with these reset charges we shall see next week. But I am really interested to know, regardless of where they end up, regardless of where that portal was leading to, I just can't wait to hear the conversation that these two are about to have, because I mm. think that the Sofia Martino character, the variant, is the official credited name for now still. I think that this character is going to be able to explain a lot of things and explain a lot of what Loki already knows as far as the limitations that the TVA puts on everyone across space and time of removing free will from the equation and saying that there's only one timeline and everybody has to make the same choices they always did that allows that timeline to unfold in exactly the way that it's supposed to, or the net result is exactly what it's supposed to be at every key milestone along that sacred timeline. That obviously that's wrong, and I think Loki, our Loki already suspects that, but the extent of what the TVA is doing and how to circumvent that, how to overcome that, uh, because that's something our Loki hasn't figured out, but this variant has been able to elude the TVA and seems to have done striking the biggest blow against the TVA that maybe they've ever experienced since presumably winning the multiversal war. So I am so excited about Mm -hmm. the conversation that they are going to have next week. And there's been a lot of fun with philosophy in this series so far. And I think we will get even more of it in the conversation between these two characters. But before we wrap up, Let's talk about the identity of this character because this episode came out and the immediate reaction with everybody seeing the visual was this is Loki or Lady Loki as people have been calling her. And then people started noticing and they started posting the screenshots on Twitter and wherever else that in the credits for the the dubs, in, uh, in for the international credits, for international versions of the show, 
when it came to the dubs for Castilian Spanish, the character played by Sofia DiMartino is, uh, by Sofia DiMartino is listed as Sylvie. All other versions, uh, you know, all of the other dubs credit the character as some version of the word of the words "the variant," which matches the English credits that we see in the you know English version of the show. It's only in this Castilian Spanish version where they call the character Sylvie. So you could say, is that a mistake? Were the credits for Castilian Spanish they weren't supposed? Did they reveal something that they weren't supposed to? And somehow everybody who approves these things, they all missed it, which is possible. We've seen it. Gene's guy in The Mandalorian, which is a much bigger thing. The coffee cup in Game of Thrones. Things Gene's get missed good. in things that that get put out. It, it seems like it couldn't happen with how many people sign off on these things and go through Human these nature, and, watch, and watch these. But especially these, um, you know, these these credits for these dubs for actors playing these parts in different languages. I mean, these are credits that you got to figure get tacked on at the very, very end. So, I mean, they literally do when we're watching them on Disney Plus. But yeah, I, I could see this being a, an easy place that things could slip up. But I think there's also been instances in the past where those credits have pointed to things that didn't ultimately prove to be reliable in, uh, reliable intel. But there's a reason why people are reacting so strongly to the name Sylvie and why that's leading to so much speculation. And the reason I, I saved all of this to the end to go deeper into the explanation is in case you don't want to go into it, but this is a spoiler review and this appeared on screen in the episode. Even if it's not in the main story, the credits still count. So I consider it fair game to talk about. It, it can't really be considered a leak. They put it out there with that name on there. Um, so it is fair game to discuss. So why are people reacting to the name Sylvie. Well, there is a character in Marvel Comics named Sylvie Lushton, who is from Broxton, Oklahoma, which was the home of Asgard for a little while in the comics. And she is an enchantress. I say an enchantress, not the enchantress, and certainly not the original enchantress, because that is Amora and Asgardian. Sylvie Lushton is from Earth, as I said, Broxton, Oklahoma. She becomes the Enchantress or an Enchantress after being given powers by Loki. Loki at the time was a Lady Loki uh, at that time in the comic books when this happened. Um, mm-hmm. And Loki just wanted to create a mortal who suspected that she was as guardian. Basically, it was a cruel trick by Loki to give someone false hope. Although, I mean, she ended up really having powers. So, you know, it, didn't, it wasn't totally bad for Sylvie Lushton. Um, but also, if we're not just talking about the name, let's think about Oklahoma. Unless that was a different hooded figure at the end of episode one, we first saw this variant in Salina, Oklahoma in 1858. So just, you know, you can start counting up the coincidences between Sylvie's. Um, so this must mean then, it, all of this stuff must add up to Sofia Martino being Enchantress. Maybe, but I don't know. I think the first thing is we have to remember, as always, that the MCU is not the comics, even when it's including things that appear to be pointing directly toward the source material. And the variant Sylvie could be um, Enchantress, um, but it also could be Loki, or it could be Sylvie slash Enchantress and, and formerly Loki, or it could be somebody completely different. If that sounds confusing, it is, because all of these different things are possible, and the, that's why I also don't even consider it that much of a spoiler of future episodes, because we still don't really know yet. But 
I don't think it's as simple as just saying she is Sylvie and she is Enchantress and is not and never has been Loki. I actually don't think that's going to be the case. I think that uh, that this character, the variant, is or at least was Loki at some point. Where the name Sylvie factored into it, I'm not sure. And maybe Sylvie takes on the name Enchantress instead of Loki. Maybe if the name Enchantress even becomes part of this, although I suspect I suspect that it may not. But the key thing as far as whether or not this variant was Loki. Let's go back to those lines in Roxcart. If anyone's anyone, you're me. That is an acknowledgement that they are or were variations of the same person, I think. Uh, when the when the variant has enchanted uh, B, Hunter B-15. But then that line from Randy, when Loki, when, it, when Loki calls the variant Loki, it's not a that's not my name response or anything like that. It's just an ugh, don't call me that. Disgusted by it, which I think suggests that the name isn't entirely inaccurate, but just maybe outdated. And why wouldn't the variant want to be called Loki if that was their original identity? Why would, if this character was originally Loki, why would they now be disgusted by that identity? I go back to Thanos' line in Avengers Infinity War. If you consider failure experience, the Loki that we knew in the Sacred Timeline almost never saw victory. And even when it happened, that Loki was never able to hold on to it for very long. The TVA has stopped a lot of Loki variants, which means a lot of Loki variants have failed. And the variant probably sees themselves as being better than any of the others and would rather not go by a name that has been synonymous with failure across many pruned timelines and also maybe doesn't want to go by a name that the timekeepers are saying, this is who you have to be. If you're Loki, you have to be this. Well, maybe the solution to that problem for this Loki is fine. I'm not Loki. I'm someone else. I'm someone in something better. But all of that still suggests to me that the variant was named Loki at some point and has perhaps simply shed that identity. Thus far, this variant doesn't really seem to care what they're called, just as long as it's not Loki. So perhaps Sylvie becomes or already is the preferred name of this character, although right now doesn't seem to care. Uh, Perhaps Sylvie is the name of the person that the variant as Loki took over with a permanent enchantment instead of the temporary ones we've seen. Or perhaps the name Sylvie is really just nothing more than an Easter egg and a playful nod to the comics. Um, which does happen as well in these things. Right, right. Um, But I usually look at Marvel to tell the most interesting version of a story. Yeah. Because they're pretty consistent with that. And in a story that's all about identity and free will, I think Loki debating slash battling slash maybe even teaming up with a different version or multiple versions of himself, herself, or themselves, I think that's probably more interesting than just chasing Enchantress who's here out of nowhere. Yeah, First of all, I didn't even know about this different version of, of Enchantress. Um, she's a very obscure character, was only in a, a brief time in the era of the Marvel Universe, which I was actively reading, but I didn't read the Dark Reign Young Avengers book. I just didn't ha- really care about the characters or anything. And she didn't do a bunch 
One of the things I think that would be interesting if that really is, which I'm assuming is probably going to play off that character, is the original Enchantress is very much a very sexualized character. This Sylvie version obviously is not. It's it's a, it's a little more complex and, and, to be frank, a lot more interesting just on on paper, just reading it. Um, I grew up reading the old Secret War, uh, Secret War comic book, so I know who I, I've known the Enchantress since I was like three, four years old and, and whatever. She's not the most engaging character, um, Mm. ever. I mean, obviously with Scourge out of the picture too, she was, you know, Scourge pretty much worked for Enchantress, you know, exclusively, uh, in the Thor comic book. So, I mean, without him around, she's just, you know, and again, she's used in the, um, the animated, I think the animated films, uh, and the, uh, Avengers assemble, uh, amazing Avengers, animated show very very well it's like but her sister just, or cousin that was in agents of shield too yeah exactly she's just not the most interesting character in my opinion and i think that her just her motivations just it's, it's a tired trope and i just we don't really need that what i do like is using the potentially using this different version of enchantress using that name and using it for a different character and giving this origin and maybe amalgaming everything together of all these different versions of the character and giving us a, a, a more complex and interesting version of that character, like you're saying, Sean. And I think that I like the idea that she, she represents the idea that you don't have to be even a Loki. You can be Loki, but you can be something different, mm-hmm. meaning you can be a completely different person. And that you're again the idea that your roles are not predestined. You choose who you choose to be, and I think that to me, I, I love, I love that theme. And I yeah. think that that is evident through what we're going to be getting with the whole idea of predestination, et cetera, et cetera. So I think what this character is itself, we could be getting our MCU version of the character, which is a literal amalgam of all those things. Do I think that the the old enchantress character is completely worthless? No, I think there is some attributes of a she is very much, you know, a deceiving person and and I think some of the comic books are actually are are good when Loki and her are kind of like they're both just trying to deceive each other and it's just, it's it is a good play off of that. So using that idea that she is a literal different version of Loki kind of plays off that same idea, which I really like. So I think this this is probably where they're going, and I like that. I like the, the idea this could be the 616 version of Enchantress. And again, going to throw this out there, she wasn't a Thunderbolt, but she was a Master of Evil at some point, so maybe she could play that also down the line with Baron Zemo or something like that down the line if you want to get super in the weeds. But yeah, I, I do like the idea that this is if this is the new version of Enchantress or there's an amalgam of all the different interpretations, this is a great way to play it. And I, I never even considered that because I remember the first thing I saw when she should reveal herself, I went, the Loki uh, character from the comics is a brunette, not a blonde. <laughs> so, I mean, but whatever, it doesn't really matter. So that, well, that's yeah. part of what I think people have used to say. That's why she's not the you know, lady Loki from the comic books is because that right. was a brunette and this is a blonde because the one in the comic books was actually wasn't he using Sif's body, I, I think. Yeah, to, it was that he had weird. possessed yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it would not be the first time that hair color didn't match. It happens. We're, it doesn't. <laughs> we're, we're so far down the road on that. Uh, like I, that one didn't even register to me. It's like, oh, so what? That's, you know, they, it didn't matter that the hair color didn't match. And that to me is not evidence that she is not 
uh, Loki. I, I don't really look at it that way. I, mean, I I think there's evidence in the dialogue in the scene that that suggests that again maybe doesn't like to go by the name Loki now, but at least was at some point. But that's where all these things could be true. As I said, could have adopted the name Sylvie, may have also adopted the name Enchantress. Why not? Um, you know, of, of real of saying like I was Loki and this is who I this is who I am now. And and I could see why this character wouldn't like the name. I mean, I, I mentioned the the history of failure with Loki, but also there's this idea that if you look at the the restrictions on Loki, the part that Loki has to play, well, then I'm going to change the part I'm playing by changing the name of my character in this. Like Loki, if Loki is something that the TVA has so specifically and narrowly defined, then I'm going to be something, I'm going to be someone they can't define quite so easily. And, you know, and I, my identity is going to be fluid. I mean, and that's part of Loki's character in the comic books. I mean, even having gender fluidity as Loki has had in the comic books, that's right. at play here and that I can choose. I get to choose who I am. I get to choose what I look like. And maybe it changes. You know, maybe this Loki is, if this variant is Loki or was a Loki, is Sofia Martino this week, maybe another version of this Loki or this same Loki can take a different form and look like Richard Grant uh, later on down the line or look like a kid or whatever it is. Um, so there is, you know, I, I still think there's a good chance that this is a Loki or was a Loki. The caveat that I would throw out with all this is that moment of rec what almost looks like recognition of Loki, like almost looks like when Loki says, right, when it says this isn't about you. Well, if it's not about you, then maybe it's not necessarily Loki or certain or I don't know. Like, I'm thinking maybe maybe Loki recognizes this because maybe he messed with somebody named Sylvie down on Earth forever mm -hmm. ago. And maybe she has powers and she was able to hold on to them in some timeline and has become this more powerful being where it's derivative powers of Loki. But that's not who she is and never who she was. But I still lean in the direction of this was a Loki at some point. I mean, certainly got the visual motif. I mean, the crown is a horned Loki crown, not a green, like emerald, shiny enchantress crown. So, I mean, there's another visual. Despite the hair color thing, uh, the crown motif definitely belongs in the Loki camp as opposed to enchantress. I don't really know what's going to happen. Obviously, I've I've laid out the direction that I'm leaning here, but I don't actually know. And I, but my main point here is to not just take this credit and assume that this is who it is, and it's definitely Enchantress, and and we've already immediately disproven the idea that this could be another version of Loki. Totally, uh, totally could be this. Uh, the variant could totally be Loki or have been a Loki. We will find out in due time. But I, I think in this story, again, about identity and free will, I feel like Loki, Loki's having conversations amongst themselves might be the best way mm -hmm. to explore that. And that's why I think that's the direction that Marvel Studios has gone. But uh, we'll know more about that probably next week uh, with a conversation that those two characters, Loki, our Loki and the variant who may or may not be Loki slash Sylvie slash Enchantress, uh, we'll probably get a lot more information on that in episode three. But to put a button on episode two, I loved it. I mean, just yeah. what an incredibly strong start to this series for each of these first two episodes. 
I mean, this is the first act, right? I mean, if it's six episodes and we've seen two, we're a third of the way through it. So going off of a three-act structure, yeah, this is the first act. And we've been given a lot of information in very simple terms, and it's mostly stayed true to the rules that it's introduced us to, but we know there's plenty of mystery and intrigue that's still out there. So I love how weird and trippy a lot of this is as far as being so fantastical and and sci-fi and time travel and all the weirdness that's a part of it. But I also continue to love how plain and and bureaucratic and tedious so many things are within the TVA. Mm -hmm. But then the biggest stuff for me, and it's, it's all very entertaining, it's very funny, but it's really probing some very deep philosophical questions and concepts over and over again um, and finding ways to keep it interesting as it's uh, expanding on these conversations and opening up new branches within these conversations. Uh, I really love what they're doing here with this Loki series so far. So yeah, it is a credit to uh, Kate Heron, the Kate Heron, the director of this entire series, every single episode. Uh, but as you've uh, rightfully said, Paul, multiple times now in each of these podcast episodes, the writer's room on this, you know, led by head writer for the series, Michael Waldron, Alyssa uh, Karasik, the writer of this episode, uh, they have just done such a remarkable job with this series that is balancing so many different things all at once and yet doing it so, so well. Uh, couldn't be happier with this series after two episodes. Yeah, I I love, love this stuff. I mean, I, I, I've said it before about this whole every Marvel series that we've gotten from Disney plus has I've loved. And to be be quite frank, Sean, it's really rejuvenated to me, not my own, but I I think for the franchise, all as a brand itself of the MCU has really rejuvenated. I think the brand, not that I needed rejuvenating, but I think it just did it naturally. It's a new form of storytelling that has just been even more exciting and, and, and chaotic in the best ways and there's an excitement there that it's not just, again, the biggest criticisms we always heard about the Marvel films. Like, they're always formulaic and it's always the same thing, and gotta, you know, which I don't always agree with. I think there's some validity to it to an extent, but it's mostly I, I, I would say, no, I think it's, it's, it's a simple it's an oversimplification, uh, if you will, whereas these TV series are the exact opposite, where they are doing completely different from one another and they're telling really complex stories and very political stories. And I think that are good and worthwhile Mm -hmm. and great thematic stories. And I think that Loki is no different. And I, I love it. I I think Falcon winter soldier will always be my personal favorite just because I love that story and those characters for a long time. But I think if you, you know, if we're just thinking about the, just as a, as an art form, of itself that I think that is more, I think just a really impressive tale. I would say that WandaVision and Loki are a lot more just, it's a more, it's a harder thing to do to accomplish what they're doing and, and what they're telling. It's just a lot more complicated and it's really impressive. And I just think that this, it's so awesome that these TV series are just going such different directions and they can, mm-hmm. and Loki's no different. These last few episodes, I, I've just been blown away of what and, and how they're accomplishing the idea of the time variance authority and different multiverses. And it's really impressive. And I, I love what we're getting. And, and again, I like the idea of the fact that there are only six episodes and we're going to be getting a very tight knit story. So it's not going to be bloated. It's going to be a very, it's a very 
we're already on track, you know, introducing the, the, the variant. And again, I don't feel like we're skipping anything. So yeah. I, love I, mean, what, I love what we're getting. Yeah, we're two episodes out of six and we've identified the variant to an extent and yeah. we've bombed the sacred timeline that we were just told was so important in episode one. So now it's been compromised significantly. So, yeah, I, I love the pace at which this series is moving. And yet, even as the plot moves so fast, it is taking time to like it's finding the time to let these characters have very meaningful conversations that provoke a lot of thought within us, within themselves, in story, us as an audience, just watching the story as it unfolds. And they're also taking the time to just let us see how Loki is feeling in these very rare moments of vulnerability for this character, because this is a character that lives on lies. So it's nice to have those still have these moments where we get to see the truth uh, within Loki and it's the truth that he shows almost no one else except Mobius one time, the rest of the time he's only showing us, he's only showing it to us, the audience, because uh, you know, he's not Deadpool. He doesn't know he's being watched. Uh, by all of us watching at home. So, yeah, it's been just a terrific start to this series. I think all of these Disney Plus series so far have been great in their own ways and doing completely different things. How they all stack up against each other, I'm not even prepared. Well, Loki, premature. We got to see. We're only a third of the way through it. Um, But as I said, based on a a two-episode start, really couldn't be happier, could not be more impressed with everything uh, that they are bringing together in this, uh, you know, in this own sacred timeline of this, uh, this series all unto itself. Like it's just been such terrific work by everyone involved and just so happy with it and so happy to continue talking about it next week. But before we end this week, want to thank some people. Thank you to Philip B. Thank you to Tom. Thank you to Billy B. Latest patrons over patreon.com slash Sean Gerber which grants them access to exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else. That includes Patreon credit scenes, where for those of you who are up for it, yeah, we'll go further into that Kang speculation. Why not? Uh, In the corresponding Patreon credit scene for episode 206 of MCU Fan Show. Lots of other exclusives at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber as well. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in the show notes. I hope I spelled my name right. I think I did. Uh, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. And then uh, follow us on all those places you can at MCU Fan Show, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, aka Pthug. Please uh, like, subscribe, and watch my videos on YouTube at The Comic Binge. Um, we just did a, a, a massive episode on the Hulk and the new Maestro, or not newer, but the, the, some, one, of the one of the latest miniseries on the Maestro by Peter David, um, a continuation of the Hulk Future Imperfect storyline. Very good with the legendary podcaster, Michael Bailey. I love that guy. love this podcast since I've discovered podcasts. It was great having him on the show. We talked a lot about Hulk and all kinds of tangents that are great. So definitely check out the video. Um, and again, for the latest people who have subscribed recently, if you're listening, thank you so much. So yeah, check me out there. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.